You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. Mommy's going to the beauty parlor, darling. But I'm leaving you with your favorite friend, Roger. He's going to take very, very good care of you. Because if he doesn't, he's going back to the science lab. <laughs> Jack Deebs created his own world. It made him very successful. You're Jack Deebs, the creator of Cool World, right? Can't believe this. Now he thinks he's going home to the real world. But he's wrong. Real wrong. Welcome to my world. You're not in Kansas anymore! Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on. I invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. I am very excited because we are going back to spooky mode, everybody, next week. So join the sleaze. That's right. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover as well. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes uh, every single month, which we have been doing for five or six years. We have like 140 plus bonus episodes as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release uh, genre films that are uh, coming out. And uh, so, if they, again, if you're interested in that, patreon.com slash podcast. And speaking of which, we did have quite a few people make the jump this week. We're getting their shout outs here. Uh, we had Dillard's department sign up for $5 a month. We had Preston Hansen. We had Big Titty Goth Trad Wife. <laughs> we, had, <laughs> we had Luke. Welcome aboard. We had, we had Trevor Tremaine. Uh, we had David... Punton. It's always nice when someone takes advantage of the fact that I have to read these out loud. Uh, oh, we yeah. had Ben Gonzalez. We had Chris. Um, we had Matthew Eden. We had Eric Hawkins go from $5 a month to $10 a month and is joining us for monthly virtual screenings that we try to do at the last Thursday of, uh, of, of every month. Um, we had Brittany Day sign up for uh, at $5. And we had, last but not least, Owen. Uh, sign up. I hope uh, all of you folks are enjoying the bonus episode. Thanks so much. We appreciate the support. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, is Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you were listening on either one of those platforms, and I see the stats, I can see you right now listening on both of those platforms. Give us a good old rating and review over there. It helps us climb the ranks and find new listeners. Uh, and the very last plug, as always, is merch. If you like the poster art that based out of uh, Toronto uh, horror artist Trevor Henderson did for our show, you can get that put on basically anything that you can think of. And you guys have thought of a lot of things. You have bought notebooks, you have bought pillows, you have bought pens, hoodies, uh, you know, just posters for your place. Uh, the link to that is in the description of this episode, as well as over at sleazoidspodcast.com for anyone who's interested. But that is it for the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, uh, I am your host, Josh Lewis. And joining me also, as always, is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. 
Welcome. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time uh, you folks over on the main feed would have heard from us, and we would have had a very uh, big special episode with the uh, both hosts of the Blowback podcast, Brendan James and Noah Colwin, who were uh, who are uh, gearing up for the uh, new season of their show on the Afghanistan War. So we invited them on to uh, talk with us a double feature of 80s Red Scare Rambo knockoffs made by some legitimate right wing psychos. We talked uh, John Milius's um, Red Dawn, which is like, you know, still maybe the most like uh, overtly and famous anti-communist quasi family action film about American kids basically becoming uh, Mujahideen freedom guerrilla fighters and was a production that was overseen by a literal Nixon Reagan era U.S. Army general as well as the guy who inspired the Doctor Strangelove character so pretty <laughs> crazy there but and and surprisingly not as crazy of a production uh, even as the uh, following film that we paired it with Joseph Zito's Red Scorpion from 1988, which starred our boy Dolph Lundgren, who we always love talking about, but did have one of the most evil production histories we've maybe ever covered on this show, which is actually saying something because it was a film that wasn't just trying to have a message or an agenda in favor of the South African apartheid uh, government, but it was actually produced by Jack Abramoff, uh, who took money from uh, that government and actually shot it um, uh, in during apartheid and using South African military equipment as part of the production and actually shooting near like basically where executions were happening. Yeah, um, I was just going to say like protesters during the filmmaking were were killed. Like it, it's yeah. just an, it's a pretty unbelievable uh, production to look at. It was really nice yeah. to, to pick the, the brains of the blowback boys, though. They are incredibly knowledgeable. It's insane. Yeah, so it was it was it was great to talk about uh, the, the the merging of of, of history and uh, great art <laughs> in the forms yes. of uh, Red Dodd and Red Scorpion. Um, so if you haven't heard that episode, that was uh, two weeks ago uh, back over on the main feed. Go back and check it out. Uh, but last week over on uh, the Patreon feed exclusively for the patrons, we, we took a bit of a left turn away from uh, action cartoons and we talked some actual cartoons, but some exploitation X-rated uh, ones uh, made by the uh, notorious or genius filmmaker, whatever your view of him, Mr. Ralph Bakshi. Uh, we, we talked about his transgressively horny origins with the smash X-rated hit um, Fritz the Cat which was his attempt to bring Robert Crumb's very vulgar satirical attempt to bring the hand-drawn animation of the 30s and 40s into a psychedelic, politically and sexually liberated like post-Mad Magazine countercultural 60s and had a, a, a lot of cats uh, uh, masturbating, uh, yep. a, a bunny rabbit bunny whip, whipping his... Yeah, whipping his dick around, Mickey Mouse cheering on the napalming of Harlem. Um, <laughs> yep, next to Minnie and of, Donald Duck. A lot of wild images uh, in, in that <laughs> film. And we paired it with his attempt to bring that adult animation sensibility that you know he, he really felt passionate about to a more traditional children's fantasy sword and sorcery um, uh, movie called uh, Wizards. Um, while, you know, which is still, you know, doing kind of like a, like a Tolkien-esque, uh, you know, sort of quest in the broad strokes, but still in the detail, kind of giving it some violent, horny, political polemic edge to it uh yeah you know, it has like, like fairy stuff about 
berry hookers and uh, <laughs> and, and like the the, um, the the actual protagonist uh, the 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 woman protagonist has just you know huge boobs that are just hanging out the entire time. So it's it's very still she's hanging out with a cigar the- smoking wizard who sounds like Columbo, <laughs> and they're on a mission to take down like a guy who's using you know uh, Nazi propaganda to start like a second Holocaust. It's you know there's some crazy it's and crazy. there's some gory rotoscoped battle sequences in it you know ralph bakshi was insane <laughs> yeah it's a it's unbelievable i i preferred that one over fritz both both were good honestly he's a very interesting filmmaker so it's it's nice we get to you know maybe talk about him a little later on in this episode <laughs> yeah so if you haven't heard that episode that was over on the patreon feed uh last week and patreon.com slash these podcast for anyone interested in that but that episode was at was as jamie was alluding to there pretty strategically <laughs> planned because we've been wanting to go cartoon mode a little bit um on the podcast because it's kind of something we haven't talked a whole lot about i think heavy metal mm-hmm. prior to these two episodes is probably some of the you know the only actual you know p- animated films that we've talked about and there is so much animation, um, you know, through the the eras that that we like to talk about. Animation is some of the earliest uh, film that's out there as well. So um, mm-hmm. this week to have that conversation with us and to actually get into uh, these these uh, wild animated uh, and live action crossover films. We have a very special uh, first-time guest joining us. He is a comedian. He's an illustrator. He's a comic artist known for his series uh, Hell Was Full and his character Swan Boy, who I believe even got his own short television show uh, at, at, at one point. He's written stuff for the Cartoon Network. He's had illustrations in The New Yorker. And he's also just one of the best writers on Letterboxd for all of the golden age of animation shorts that are all out there for anyone who's interested in that stuff. And that guest is Branson Reese. Branson, how you doing? I'm doing great now. You just gassed me up. I feel fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> That's what we welcome, like to do welcome. around here. Welcome. Welcome. Well, welcome to the, uh, the, the Sleazoids guest rotation. I've been meaning to get you on here for a while, and I'm glad you agreed. I got to say, well done. Thank you. I feel like a big shot now. This is what a way to – I can't wait to talk about film now with you. Uh, well, I'm so excited to talk about – uh, to talk about these films, I feel like I've I listen to all these movies, po- all these film podcasts. Everyone always talks about cartoons, and I'm right there. You know, nobody <laughs> ever asked me on to talk about cartoons. <laughs> well no, I, I I knew we had to have you because I I occasionally like to go. You know, every once in a while I get in the mood, and I'm like, I am feeling like going down the rabbit hole of some 1940s or 1930s animation shorts. Oh. And it, you know, every once in a while, I'm just like, I'm gonna watch like, you know, I'm gonna sit down. I'm actually gonna watch like four or five of them just in a row and just, you know, go, go through a couple of the directors that I know, go through your Dave Fleischer's or go through your Tex Avery's. And, and every single time there was one name that cropped up every, every time Branson has logged every single one of these. And I was like, well, if we're ever going to talk about, you know, uh, one of the films, especially today, um, I was like, well, we need someone who actually knows, knows their, their history because the filmmakers obviously, uh, knew theirs. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so Branson, as it goes, we, we, we have the guests bring the, the films with you. Uh, so what two films have you brought with you this week and i probably don't need to ask the second question but i will anyway why did you pair them together <laughs> sure yeah it's gonna be <laughs> extremely obvious uh for honestly your listeners also you already know what the title of the episode is so there's no it's true there's no need for me to, <laughs> to to drum it out it's uh, i brought in 1988's who framed roger rabbit uh directed by uh new hollywood introvert robert zemeckis uh, and I also brought in 1992's uh, Cool World, 
directed by living pervert Ralph Bakshi. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I, I I paired them together because you well because you asked me you were like hey you know hey we'd love to have you on the show what would you like to talk about and I was like honestly I, and I brought Cool World to you I didn't even bring Who Framed Roger Rabbit <laughs> I was like I. I've got this, like, I've got the devil in me, you know, and I, I need to exercise it. And it, that devil's name is cool world. Uh, <laughs> it's just a movie I saw pretty young, not when it came out, I would have been like five or six or whatever when it came out or four, I would have been four. I'm not that old. I would have been four when it came out. So, and I wasn't allowed to watch it cause my parents aren't, uh, lunatics. That would have been a, a irresponsible <laughs> choice to show this to a child. But I saw, you know, and then I saw it on my own in like fifth or sixth grade. And I was like, that felt, I feel like I'm going to go to jail. You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's, a, it's an evil, evil feeling movie. Um, and obviously it exists in the shadow of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who Framed Roger Rabbit comes out in 1988. It's this like genre bending, like the, the technology for the time was unheard of. You had Richard Williams, the animator, the doing most of the movie on the ones. It's this incredible movie, critically acclaimed. It's a big hit. Uh, and then, what is it? Four, four long years later, Ralph Bakshi <laughs> says, I want a piece of that pie. That's <laughs> Here right. is uh, a similar premise, but it's not as clear. It's not as narratively clear. And it's if we took like the Jessica Rabbit scenes and we cranked them up so high that the dial started to like get hot to the touch. Yeah, uh, and, and so they have a lot in common. The, the movies exist in conversation. There's yeah, some it's, 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 it's real actors hanging out with uh, hanging out with cartoons, double feature. But they're also both. I will say, both are using a history of crime films. Both are uh, weirdly mm -hmm. violent and horny little slapstick creations. Uh, you know, so you know, there, there's there's definitely a a, a a similar sensibility outside of the fact that you know two directors really liked old cartoons and wanted to bring them back in the '80s and '90s. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. said they were in conversation. They're in conversation with uh, with each other the way that like if you're on the street and a guy drives by you with his window down and tells you to kill yourself like that, the way that that's a conversation. <laughs> that's cool world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool world is a lunatic screaming at you. Yeah, yeah there is yeah, some, uh, and we'll get to the details, of course. But the, there is some subtext in Cool World that I don't think is even necessarily like on purpose here and there, but it just says certain things that seem questionable. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll, uh, yeah, well, it, it's going to be an interesting conversation. These movies, yeah. uh, I mean, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you know, pretty kind of a classic in a sense, at least maybe for, for our generation. Um, and uh, Cool World was something that I've wanted to watch for a while just because I saw the mix of uh, animation and Brad Pitt. And I was just like, I didn't know that even existed. So yeah, looking forward to it. It's, uh, I have a very vivid memory of being at the mall in Tennessee with my family as a kid and looking up at this huge Cool World poster. And it's like Brad Pitt, who it's like, we who is he? We only know he's, whoa, the scene stealer from Thelma and Louise. Like him <laughs> and this like babe, just this like drawing of a babe. And the tagline mm -hmm. is Hollywood if she could and she will. And it's like, Ooh. I don't know what. X is yet, but I know. Like, <laughs> I know what I they're do. trying to. Yeah, he's kind of getting at here. There's a whole generation of men who found out what sex was by watching Cool World, and uh, yeah, it's a, yeah. So, you always hear uh, like guys my age. There's like, oh, Lola Bunny. 
You know, Lola Bunny was like my cartoon sexual awakening. Buddy, you were late. It was it happened <laughs> it was four Hollywood. years earlier, and your name was Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, that being said, I think we are going to jump right into it here. Let's uh, let's kick things off. Let's uh, let's go. Who framed Roger Rabbit? I'm a pig. I'm a tomb. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. But tell me, Eddie, is that a rabbit in your pocket? Are you just happy to see me? Touchstone Pictures and Steven Spielberg present a Robert Zemeckis film. We tombs may act idiotic, but we're not stupid. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? All right, we are talking Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the 1988 American half-live-action animation comedy noir directed by Robert Zemeckis, uh, written by Jeffrey Price and Peter Seaman, loosely based on the 1981 novel Who Censored Roger Rabbit by Gary Wolfe, and of course starring Mr. Bob Hoskins, the god, Charles oh, yeah. uh, Fleischer, voice acting oh. Roger Rabbit, Christopher Lloyd in there, as well as uh, Judge Judge Doom. And this is, I think, our second time talking about Robert Zemeckis, because we actually only uh, talked about him for the first time a couple weeks ago when we were doing, uh, when the new Indiana Jones came out, because we finally want to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark, and we thought he kind of made for an interesting pairing with um spielberg obviously spielberg kind of being his his mentor in in the industry and romancing mm-hmm. the stone was what we talked about because that was um you know kind of the the movie that kind of saved his career it came out before back to the future was the huge success it wasn't he had already written back to the future and was shopping it around but no one wanted it because they all saw him as box office poison for writing 1941 for uh spielberg and used cars his other direct film didn't do anything so it, it, it took one man's flow Mr. Michael Douglas, um, who, uh, you know, (laughs) through his producing power uh, and uh, his love of this uh, meta concept uh, script about a adventure novelist who kind of ends up in in, in one of her own books. And Zemeckis finally finding a good shtick for his uh, his sort of like whiz kid techie engineering and like Mad Magazine kind of spoof energy that he that he kind of had. And he got to do a really wacky uh, kind of adventure film. And um he, uh, I, I said, I've said it, said it before. I think I said it on the episode too that uh, my relationship with Zemeckis is kind of strange because yeah. I, I like him I, and I think he is a very talented guy. Uh, he mm-hmm. is one of those guys sure. where he does have a lot of middling uh, films um, for me, and he is the filmmaker who, when people are like, "Man, Spielberg and Lucas, they just uh, they don't tell stories. They just love toys. They love engineering, and they love you know special effects, and that's all they do." And I've I've never really bought that about Spielberg that much because uh, yeah, the guy totally. clearly just loves the craft so much, like outside of just like you know he oh, the actual yeah. filmmaking craft, like the stuff that we see in Raiders and Zemeckis has always been more a filmmaker. Where I'm like, it can, sometimes that applies to him. Sometimes you're like, he made this movie because he could do something something really gimmicky or something kind of fun or you know like that's that's basically it and for me his best movies is when his obsessions with his technology or effects or whatever he wants to do actually kind of comes together with the material that he's making even even something like contact 2 which has some of that uh you know sort of like science geek sentimentality uh to -hmm. to it that i that i think a lot of it is just people listening to signals and frequencies and everything like that but it is like the way he shoots it and the way he pays it is honestly fascinating 
Yeah. And 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 so so this for me has always been just 100 percent my favorite movie that he's ever made. The entire cartoon noir concept of this that takes the 1940s golden age of animation and all its colorful kind of zany glory and seamlessly merges it with this very exaggerated like noir pastiche uh, of the kind of films that would have existed around the time that those cartoons were actually being drawn. And he's just it's so gleeful in how he decided he wanted to. Uh, approach doing that and it's about it's literally a movie that's in love with like an older era of artistry and tech and trying to formally Mm -hmm. realize that and kind of um express that and Zemeckis apparently was offered uh, or he offered himself up to Disney to direct this like when they were workshopping it in the early 80s but again no interest they were like you're fucking you know we know that you know spielberg and everything but like you know we want nothing to uh do with you and at the time they were still dealing with the book uh which was like more about comic strip characters like dick tracy and snoopy Mm -hmm. and stuff so there was a long Mm -hmm. time before this actually formulated into um what it became and it was after back to the future that they kind of went yeah maybe terry gilliam fits this movie a little less than than our pal Robert Zemeckis over here. And I think also that was when they brought Spielberg on board, like Amblin Entertainment came on board to actually produce the movie. And you have a feeling that Spielberg kind of gave them a little nudge and was like, you know, hey, my guy, his last two movies did pretty well at the box office, you know, and, and, you know, he and he like Lucas and I, he likes he's willing to invent some technology for your film and, you know, all the all that kind of stuff. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he so he came back at them with the te- technical desire to pull off this uh, this this mix, and uh, you know, I and, and and I think the quote here is is that he wanted to mix Disney's high quality of animation, Warner Brothers' uh, characterizations, and the Tex Avery humor. And he was like, I want to take all of those things, the slapstick history of old cartoons, and what if it was also kind of like. Chinatown at the same time and he made one of just like the strangest movies that has ever been as good as this movie is made as much (laughs) money as this movie did and won as many Oscars as this movie did like it's actually insane how successful this movie is considering how much it is just like a genre geeks kind of heaven I was just saying on paper it makes no fucking sense like you know just you know men in black away the the this movie from your memory and then, like, I approach you, right? And I'm like, okay, I got an idea for a movie right now. And I pitched Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> I'd be, I, I'd be institutionalized. Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, good luck, dude. Like, that's not gonna happen. Like, even that, it's like such a called shot of like, I want the quality of Disney. I want the characterization of Warner Brothers and the comedy of Tex Avery. It's like, yeah, dude, we all. Wa- I want to fly too. It's not gonna <laughs> happen. <you know? laughs> yeah, there is something about like the um, some of the 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 the, se- the sexual aspects of the film and also the it, like heavily implied violence in here that I don't think Disney would touch whatsoever uh, today. And even I think then they probably had a little bit of like caution. Uh, towards it and everything because they they do break a few boundaries with this when it comes to that kind of uh, um, PG rating like you know we'll we'll get to specific examples and everything but there's a couple moments in here that uh, um, I had friends when we would talk about it uh, just they were like when I saw this as a kid it legitimately scared the hell out of me Uh, like there's the scene with the, the shoe um, there's, uh, ob- obviously, uh, Jessica Rabbit has been <laughs> a pretty <laughs> if, uh, famous cartoon for, for young gents uh, yeah. for a long time. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's something else. It really is something very special. P- part of what I love He's about that, He's got a very, that, though, uh, pre-Hayes code design. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was yeah. I was actually going to say that like some of the things I love about old animation, like I do love the golden age of you know, like I love the old yeah. Disney stuff as as well. I love I love a lot of it, sure. but the Warner Brothers stuff, um, especially and and the Fleischer stuff as as well, like some of the the things that make them as amazing as they are is that they they are as much a horror as they are comedic or family mm-hmm. friendly at times like i i, I think uh, jamie you you saw but i recently just rewatched uh pinocchio um, oh yeah, and Jesus. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and it was a movie that you know I I, 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 I found kind of yeah. creepy as 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 a kid, and but I, I didn't understand like why I found it mm-hmm. uh, creepy, and then when I was rewatching it like as an adult, I was like, dude, where are they taking? What are they doing? Where are they taking these children? Yeah, I was like, all the implications <laughs> in the dialogue, especially, are like incredibly adult and and ominous. Um, or ominous. And, um, like when I was a kid, I just remember thinking like, I don't want to get turned into a donkey. That seems really fucking terrifying. But then I, yeah, I rewatched it. I saw all these other things and I'm like, and you're like, wait a minute, this is actually about the predatory nature of adults and of show business and like, you know, act and, and growing up and be, you know, being sort of becoming aware of the outside world and like the dark things and frightening things that are, you know, it was like all children's stuff. It's kind of designed to scare you. You into learning a lesson, but right. you know, yeah. it, it was definitely, you know, they didn't have to go that hard, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they went so It is hard. bizarre to have a, a Disney movie from 1940 that was yes. like, you know that, fe- hey kids, you know that feeling when you're at the, they're in malls yet, you know what I mean? Like when you're at like the whatever, the museum or wherever they had, like, you know, when you're at like a big public setting and you briefly get separated from your mom and your face gets hot because you're about to start crying. We made a whole movie about that feeling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You're being separated from your father, your ki- yeah. your kindly old grandfather, father, and like who's stuck in a giant like, monster. Like, yeah, it's it's Horrible. it's just uh, and and yeah, it's it's ter- terrifying stuff. And honestly, when you think back, like to that that time of of animation, there is a lot more of that kind of just these these more adult and scary themes kind of creeped into it. Now, I don't know about how who was this was exactly designed for, but Josh, I saw that you recently watched it, and I haven't rewatched it, but I have seen it, and I really like it. Which is the um, it's called like Bimbo's Invitation or something like that. Uh, Bimbo's Initiation. Initiation, I right? Yes. And oh yeah. It's it's incredible. One of the greatest scary. animated shorts that I've ever watched about this little puppy who just gets trapped in like an assembly line of paradoxical, essentially like saw traps. Uh, that a uh, you know he literally just falls down a sewer drain. It lands in like a subterranean torture slash sex cult, like run by Betty Boop in a bunch of robes. And the whole yeah. musical aspect of it is they're just like, want to be a member, want to be a member. And he's like, no, after every trap. And yeah. it's just it's so labyrinthian. It's so like gruesome in terms of like the level of violence they're threatening to hit Bimbo with. It's not just like, you know, he'll get on a bike and then there's like a, a machine that slaps his ass over and over again. But there's like a <laughs> sentient knife that's like literally licking its lips at the idea of stabbing into Bimbo's flesh. And it's just <laughs> like, you know, car- cartoons of that era. The thing that are so amazing is how they are 
horror as much as they are comedy. And also the lesson of half of them is that horniness eventually trumps uh, violence in, in all of them as well, because <laughs> yeah. I, I, one of the Popeye yeah. ones that I did that I was Love a little that. sad they didn't get the rights to in, in this one because they did get some of the other uh, Fleischer stuff. But the, the Popeye one that I did, too, it's so funny. It's just two sailors like uh, fighting over. Uh, oh, I can't remember the character's name anymore. She's great, though. Um, and uh oil yes yeah, yes yeah. she's she's Olive it's oil, it's yeah. she's wonderful i love her like little noodly uh mannerisms that she has and everything but <laughs> popeye um, stuff is really interesting uh fleischer in general but like popeye and betty boop both uh pre and post code like nobody got hit harder in animation than the fleischers because they yep. were you know they were new york they were edgy they were bimbo's initiation is essentially just eyes wide shut but like yeah. played much faster and for laughs like it's yep. uh and so, like, they got hit really hard by this Hayes Code, which was like, no, you know, Barbara Stanwyck can't have sex in movies anymore, you know, like that. And so they were yep. like, well, fuck, we don't have anything to do. So if you watch a Popeye or a, a Betty Boop from, like, 31, like, a, a Bimbo's Initiation, I think is, I believe is 31, like, it's nasty, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. like, they're like, we're going to kill you. By the way, we're sexy ladies, you know? Like, and then <laughs> <Yep>. if you watch... <laughs> A Betty Boop from four years later, it's like, oh, no, my boyfriend's in town. I have to make a cake. You know, there's just no all of the sex and jazz has been sapped out of it, which I think is a really fun plot point that I only noticed on my most not not real. uh, My most recent probably six years ago is when I started to pick up on this and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I watched a lot that. Betty Boop shows up in Who Framed Roger Rabbit as mm-hmm. she's like a waitress. You know, she's like a, a cigarette girl at the uh, at the bar that Eddie goes to. And they have this whole history because he was like, you know, he used to love cartoons. And so in the t- in like black and white pre pre code era, he would have been friends with Betty Boop. And they sort of imply that the code is what has kept Betty Boop from like getting work now in this world it's a very interesting Mm -hmm. like mapping game of like what the code would even mean to these tunes who are sort of like obviously you can map a lot of different like uh uh, races or gender things onto the tunes of like who they are this sort of underclass of hollywood i think it's like a really it's a really smart move on the movie's part it is yeah, well, and, and and just how engaged with the history of the the genre is what's interesting. Like that's why yeah. we kind of had to open by talking about you know Max Fleischer, Frank Tashlin, Chuck Jones, like like all like so much of their the their not just their actual work itself, the production history around um, their stuff. Obviously, it's ingested so much of the sort of like clever, sophisticated kind of like silent era visual wordless gag storytelling that they loved so much from the Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin um, Mm -hmm. uh, movies that, that they would have been watching. And, you know, and and also taking in some of the, you know, some of the more absurd and surreal elements from 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 Fleischer, the way that he uses gravity or some of the more rubbery movements. And, you know, they claim Tex Avery as the biggest inspiration as well, just for, you know, some of the ridiculous model breaking and, you know, uh, and, and, oh, and Disney, yeah. obviously, as well for the, the the more sort of uh, attention to the, the realism of it and the, the the detail and the, you know, the very vivid uh, designs and, you know, some of the watercolor expressiveness, I guess you could say as well. Squash and stretch. Yes, yes. Uh, Because that's such a Disney thing. You know, that's such a nine old men thing of like we squash and stretch so that the the ball always retains the same amount of volume. So it feels real to you. But it's also like I think it's beautiful how this movie 
it, it's like, you know, Roger Rabbit feels like a real guy as much as he can, but he, mm-hmm. like, the, the Tex Avery takes are, like, built into the plot, you know? Like, they, when he drinks, he turns into a siren, you know, or, like, a rocket, and he, like, explodes out of a window. That, that comes back later in the plot. They're like, oh, we can rely on this so so steadily that now we're going to feed him alcohol so he can, like, get out of a tight spot. Very smart. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and and obviously all of that animation comes from, as as Branson was saying, from from R- Richard Williams, the Toronto-born animator who uh, won the Oscar for Best Animated Short in the 70s for his adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Um, he also did a Raggedy Ann feature, and he did some title sequences for the Pink Panther movies around then. Um, and, and and I guess in the 2000s, he joined uh, Ardman for a little while. Um, and so he was doing did some he really? of the... Yeah, he was doing some of the stop motion animation work a little bit over there. And he was actually using one of the old Disney desks or something I read that that they 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 brought in specifically for him. Um, but he yeah, he he is doing uh, some like genuinely very, very incredible pastiche work in terms of recreating this just like, you know, sort of like painstaking hand drawn sort of like cell animation that is interacting um, with the sort of like darker film noir sort of thriller a- aesthetics that um, Robert Zemeckis is uh, borrowing to create his, uh, you know, sort of like old Hollywood sort of like conspiracy film out of the this very comedic um, sensibility. And it works so well, too, as as uh, as I was saying earlier, because this animation was, you know, coming out during this period, like these kinds of cartoons were actually what those people were watching in the movie theater when, you know, like Humphrey Bogart yeah. never does it in any of his movies, I don't think. But if he would have stepped into a movie theater, he might have been watching like a Popeye short and ha- and laughing his ass <laughs> off. They just don't show that to you in, uh, you know, any of his uh, Dashiell Hammett noirs or whatever he was doing. Yeah, that's um, implied in, in a lonely place that he was just exactly Popeye. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And uh, well, and it was so funny, too, because I was I was briefly in in um, L.A. over the Christmas holidays and I went to the new Bev and I saw uh, uh, Hitchcock's Notorious while I was there, which is just, you know, one of my favorite, um, you know, sort of espionage noir films. It's so devastating, so well done. And before it, you know, the the new Bev is kind of well known, I think, for playing a lot of, um, you know, old, old shorts before the films every time and actually trying to, like, merge with the uh, the content of the film. And they played this this Daffy short that I had never seen before by Frank Tashlin um, where uh, I think Which it was one? called plain it was called plain Daffy and Hitler is using mm-hmm. a bunch of sexy femme fatale pigeons basically <laughs> against the allies um, so that you know the the you know so that the, the soldiers can't actually hit their targets because they're so distracted by the sexy pigeon and then so the allies call in Daffy because Daffy is a misogynist and a woman hater and he he would not <laughs> fall for for her tricks and he will resist her seductions um, it's it's a it's a hilarious short and it ends with him swallowing the allies like secret scroll of battle plans and Hitler literally like you know stretches him out and grabs an x-ray uh, and it's literally Hitler grabs <laughs> <laughs> gets the x-ray puts it in his stomach and it j- the the scroll just says hitler is a stinker on it <laughs> <laughs> got him that's the plan fuck you and, and, I, and i was like oh my god like people watch like people act like like characters in noir films would have like went to the theater and seen like that short which is why like this isn't just like here's two things I love that are unrelated. You know, this actually is like, you know, a, a very, you know, well thought out merging of, of these two genres. And on top of that, I don't think 
it's been done better since they did it. Like, it's just like the oh, actual yeah. VFX work courtesy of George Lucas and his team at, at ILM working in tandem with, with Zemeckis and Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Like, it is just some of the best you will ever see. It's it's early use of motion, motion control camera, which became kind of like the industry standard after this to, you know, line up live action plates for the compositing work where you could keep doing passes and, and, and the camera would just keep robotically doing the exact same movement over and over again so that you could really line up frames perfectly and it was having the cartoons interact with as much real stuff as possible including props and you know various environmental destructions like they were wire pulling people and elements from the scenes when like a cartoon character would you know be there crashing through the scene and it just gives so much real world surprising real world weight I guess to what these cartoon characters are doing while still being incredibly stylized with the lighting and doing dynamic camera movement and yeah you know about Swing Lamp right you've heard of the the Swing the Lamp that comes from Who Framed Roger Rabbit when they were when they were filming it there was uh, I didn't even let you answer I'm just I'm gonna barrel forward they uh, do it they, they swing the lamp at one point when he's hiding out it's during the scene with where they're sawing the, um, the the handcuffs and he pulls his hand out. He's like, I can only do it. It was funny. The, <laughs> during that scene, Roger Rabbit bumps his head on a swinging lamp. And that wasn't originally going to happen. And they decided to do it because even though that would look that would that would take much, much, much longer to light the scene, because now if you think about it, you've got to redraw. You've got to recolor Roger Rabbit every new frame. And they're already right. doing the movie on the ones, which means, you know, there's 24 images in a second. Which yeah, means such highly detailed animation, right? Yeah. It's incredible. Like, that's so it's crazy. Inc- that, that, and they that, would do like, this. It, it's not even necessary, but it's one of those things where it's like, if you do it, you're really, really going to merge with the live action footage, right? That's shoot, yes. shooting at 24 frames a second. So it, it just, it really does help sell that. I don't think people would have necessarily noticed if they had done it on the twos, which is more standard and at the time was more standard as well. But I do think doing it on the ones not only makes it merge better with the, you know, the films, the the real life aspects of the film, but it also that's how they did theatrical shorts at the time. They did everything on the ones. Mm. And so it it makes Roger Rabbit feel more like one of these screwball characters that he, you know, he's like he's a screwy squirrel or a Woody Woodpecker or a. He's got a little bit of bugs in him, but not a lot or goofy, you know, like and so they swing the lamp. But that means every new frame they have to relight Roger Rabbit. He has to he has to be lit Mm -hmm. differently. It's nothing for Bob Hoskins because the light just hits him differently and you film it. But it's got so deliberate for animation, but they chose to do it. And that became like the thing during production was, well, we're going to swing the lamp here. We're going to work harder because it's going to make it look better. And there's all of these little moments in it where, like, they would build a mechanical rig, like when uh, Roger Rabbit takes a drink. If you'll notice watching it, this drove me nuts as a kid, but now I appreciate it. His arm is a little thicker than it is otherwise, and it's it moves a little. He's got an elbow instead of a yeah, lot of the, literally uh, because they have the a little movie. puppet arm holding the glass, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> so they're, they literally, they're literally they're literally hand drawing cool. over top of elements that they want to cover up in the frame of you know like you know because they would build entire sets where you would have puppeteers operating beneath the sets in order to like move objects. Like when yeah, you see you- Mary Poppins penguins carrying little trays around, like actual little restaurants trays for drinks and menus and everything like those are real trays being floated around the scene by a a puppeteer and again it just it adds to the interaction when that penguin then slams it on the table in front of bob hoskins and he's like get the fuck out of here you stupid penguin or whatever you know like it's like that that, interaction feels so much more you know like it's actually happening 
Yeah, it gives you the, well, that, great that real the feel too. of uh, of like physics. Where as I like, and we'll get to details with Cool World, but there's a lot of moments in there where they try to do similar things, and you can just tell that like you know Brad Pitt is massaging air or something like he's, that. He's not even like looking in the right direction sometimes. You're like, guys, come yeah, on. yeah, like that. Yeah, <laughs> well, his eye level thing. won't be correct. Like there, there's there's really no mistakes like that in this. It's it really is truly flawlessly done technically. Um, yeah. And, What's crazy and, about this movie, yeah. though, is there are while they were filming, there were a ton of mistakes because Bob Hoskins had never seen Roger Rabbit. Because like, why would he have? You know, it's like mm-hmm. crazy to imagine that Hoskins and and Roger Rabbit never met because it's not a real guy. Like <laughs> he, he must have had like Bugs Bunny in his head, or just like it's going to be a cartoon rabbit. Right. And so Hoskins' eyeline is all over the place. But rather than just like being like ah, close enough. They have Roger Rabbit. He goes up on his tiptoes all the time to match Eddie's eye line mm-hmm. so that he's actually looking at him. Or he ducks. Or he'll he's crawl running around something. The room. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, they, they, none of that care is taken in Cool World. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and, and they also had Charles Fleischer, uh, who was doing the voice for Roger Rabbit, who I always think is hilarious because, you know, like, I, I, you know, Charles Fleischer's been in a lot of stuff, but he's always, he'll always be Mr. Creepy Zodiac Basement Guy to me. Um, <laughs> totally. So it's very, it's very funny to go back to this movie and be like, that's who's doing the, the, the voice for that guy and was on set, like, doing all of that voice acting so that Bob Hoskins could actually react to it, like, in annoyance when he's being ridiculous or, you know, right. you know, really leaning into a joke in an annoying way or something like that and but it's yeah it's it's a it's it's a really amazing combination and also worth bringing up bob hoskins what 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 possess i mean it's amazing i love him i love that he's in this but like you even have to wonder like at the time like what was the idea he he hadn't done hook you know he wasn't known for this kind like i'm I'm trying to think like he mostly would have been known for for i was gonna say what like brazil like mona lisa like yeah, his British like gangster really, film, The Long Good Friday, I guess, as as, really as well. Really dramatic like, and and kind of down films in that sense. Like it's it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty wild that he went into this. And then it, like later on, of course, he kind you know he plays that a little bit when he's got to play like the sad detective and everything. But eventually, he has to find that sense of humor again. And then you have him doing like stage show performances and stuff like that. And, and he's killing it. He's so yeah. physically committed to this performance. And I'm so used to him as like the little barrel chested ball of like British <laughs> crime movie rage. Just angry and energy. For some, yeah. <laughs> yeah for, for some reason, Spielberg was like that. And apparently it was Spielberg. He was like, I just I liked him. I, you know, it's like, there you go. So it's now now casting. he is the now he's the main guy. I, <laughs> I really do buy him, especially in the climax of like, oh, I, I believe that Bob Hoskins grew, you know, while I'm watching the movie, the movie magic takes me away. And I believe he grew up in this like Buster Keaton childhood of like getting thrown around on a vaudeville stage. Like he really moves mm-hmm. like a clown, non-pejorative, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there, you honestly, like even in the in the more serious films that he does, that those, those gangster films that we were talking about, that this this high energy that he has that it seems to be almost pent up gives way to a lot of comedic timing, <laughs> even when he's doing angry performances. So it is really cool to see him just do something well, yeah, he, more. He's like the ultimate straight man comedy. that is yeah. grounding all of the ridiculousness that they are obviously like funneling around him because you have mm-hmm. Zemeckis who is loving making this as ridiculous and animated. I mean, even the live action sets that they built are really exaggerated in terms of scale and in terms of look like they oh, almost yeah. do look like a live action cartoon version of, of a noir. Part of that yes. is obviously Dean Cundy. 
photography of them as well who's john carpenter cinematographer we've talked a lot of the times like just seeing dean cundy get to recreate like a like a kitty version of chinatown is just like an amazing thing that 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 exists because like the actual environments and sets they're tactile they're textured they're lit so beautifully there's a nice little sort of like jazzy saxophone score to it It, you know the the movie itself moves with so much speed and energy it's so formally inventive and planned and and controlled while still being you know like freewheeling slapstick anarchy like the way that this thing fucking opens is incredible like it is just a straight up warner brothers looney tune short of baby herman and roger rabbit babysitting him and it just gets that perfect energy of you know like he is told to watch this baby there's even some dark detail where the adults who you obviously don't see anything but their feet And I love when the woman is like, you know, no harm better come to that baby or you're going back to the science lab, which (laughs) is just like that's a little dark, a little dark (laughs) history detail there, which cuts the moves immediately into like baby Herman is like just getting across the room to get those cookies. And that awesome like baby slide animation along the like zigging tiles and, you know, him climbing the fridge for the cookies, just unleashing all matter of sadistic chaos like the, you know, the 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 stove fire getting lit, the baby hovering over the knives. Like there's so much like implied child violence that is taking place in this while Roger Rabbit is obviously doing all the slapstick gags to, to prevent it. He's doing ridiculous things like running along the carpet as it's just like, you know, uh, just, just uh, piling up lines of, of wrinkles while he's trying to run as fast as he can. He's getting his head stuck in the kettle. Uh, I'm trying to think of, he slips on soap at one point he gets stuck in the oven and cooked the knives (laughs) gets crushed by a bridge the volcano heat it's an interesting open because it's uh you know clearly these guys are like making this movie sort of about their childhood right you know these things they loved as kids and it really does have the tone of a cartoon remembered by an adult yes because if you actually watch cartoons of 1947 which is when the movies that they don't move or look like this like they have the same no. spirit as this but this whole opening and it's incredible if anyone hasn't seen it please go watch it watch the other roger rabbit shorts they're all really fun but it the whole thing moves at the fever pitch of like a tex avery climax that he would take like eight minutes to build to and it's just yeah. that the whole time it's it's completely it, it is it's completely unhinged it's, it's a blast but it's also like it is just a, a little bit of a way to like tip to the audience of like this is not exactly the same you know yeah, it's like yeah, the, yeah. like the line about and, the science lab is like they didn't make jokes like that then you know yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. and it's so re- like it, it's so um quick and repetitive with this violence like there's one part where roger rabbit is just being slammed into a wall like over and over and over and over again i think it's like 10 or 12 times or something like that it's crazy um and i also like the the transition in the 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 very beginning here of the score where it's like it has the the title where it has this kind of classic like who framed roger rabbit and it's got the the jazz saxophone going and everything and then it turns into the the looney tunes music that we know um, and then it goes into what we're talking about, this opening cartoon. But then even that transitions into a set itself and it's revealed that they're kind of, you know, they're actors. They're, they're putting on a performance here and it's not necessarily in their, in, in this 
real reality for them. Like this is still a performance. This yeah. is a set and everything. Yeah, they're, they're, so, they're coming up with a um, world where the cartoon shorts that you watch are actually shot by live action cartoons that live and, in Hollywood and exist in, in, yeah. in Hollywood, which is obviously just, they, it's a really great shocking idea to the, when you immediately hit the soundstage and it's like, oh, Roger Rabbit isn't like a drawing of some guy. He's technically like a stunt guy who's just like yes. willing to get hit yeah. over and over and over. That's, He's basically just Charlie yeah. Chaplin. He's just willing to get like fucking Steve-o. abused on screen. And yeah, baby is the, the cut also to baby Herman, who's obviously the adorable baby, but it's actually like a 50 year old man who looks like a baby and he just starts Smokes. chain smoking and like, you know, he's like, I won't be in my trailer. You know, he like oh, smacks oh, an oh, assistance oh. butt or something yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely wild. And I also like the little details of, their performances like um when he gets out of the fridge and they say it was supposed to be stars not birds so just that they have like this idea that the cartoons have this control over their wackiness and kind of like the the (laughs) zany um imagery that they come up with to show the audience is like it's part of their performance it's part of their talents or something like that um so yeah there's just a lot of really fun and cool implications in this first opening and the transitions are awesome Oh, it's just such an effective piece of storytelling to, you know, to open. It's like, mm-hmm. here's a cartoon. You're in that world. You've already heard the jazz saxophone. So, you know, it's noir. Now the cartoon, then we break <laughs> from that and you get to learn all of the context of like, there are cartoons in this world. They exist alongside real people. The cartoons are not treated well. Some of them are misogynist. Inter- like, let's yeah. go. You know, you're yeah, just yeah, like, that, that, they show the, the Fantasia brooms, like actually sweeping the studios and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's just, and, well, and the they guys say, playing the saxophone. To make it work like yeah yeah right. and yeah there's and there's a ton of like you see these recognizable that's the thing too recognizable animated characters that you that you know and love from your childhood being exploited yeah, they had on to the work Hollywood to get studio those rights. I mean, like on some level, you could maybe blame this for a lot of the uh, sort of a cinematic universe glee that so many people, uh, uh, you know, have yeah, now. Sure. I, I don't think sure. it comes across that way because like it wasn't really that at the time. Uh, yes. And Disney was obviously a very different force in 1988 than it is now. Um, yeah. But it, but it, but it was Spielberg and, and just his childlike interest that was like he had to go studio to studio, like convincing animators and you know convincing warner and convincing uh the fleischer studios like being like i need to have all the rights to these characters and he tried to get as many as he could and so many of them make cameos there were certain rules about uh how to use uh some of them as well i know that like yeah, I know the, 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 the Warner Brothers guys were like, you can put us in a Disney movie, but like we need to have the equal amount of time to the Disney characters. Yeah. And also like we can't have Mickey like being like, I'm better than you and like beating up Daffy or something like, you know, like it yeah, needs they, to be like, you a, know, <clears throat> you know about the deleted scene from this movie? No. Oh, my God. This is the, the most heartbreaking thing in the world. No, that's a climate change. But, you know, up there. <laughs> there's a very heartbreaking. Uh, originally, Marvin Acme's funeral was its own scene. And it was mm. I've seen the script for it. It's incredible. Foghorn Leghorn delivers the eulogy. And it's Foghorn <laughs> Leghorn talking, baby. That's I mean, that's gold right there. But rather than the i'm sorry sort of stinker scene between bugs bunny and mickey mouse that we get in the movie that's like mm-hmm. a bit of a bummer after the 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 dizzying heights of the donald daffy piano duel where neither win and they're both like equal and they're crazy. literally just trying to murder each other on the pianos yeah it's great yeah, yeah. two most unhinged cartoons who have ever lived they're just like i'm out for blood and they're just screaming it's amazing yeah it's literally like what if they did like an itchy and scratchy episode or something <laughs> 
Yes, yeah. Yeah, and you but can then, And then later, <laughs> Bugs and Mickey show up, and they're parachuting, and it's like, ah, uh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, they're just does, sort of cool. It does kind of feel like when they got to Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse, both companies looked at them and just went, "We're this is going to be the most just general scene so that there's no risk in either looking better than the other and anything like that. It's not like it's horrible or anything. It's just kind of boring compared to how they use the rest of the characters in that. And you would have liked to see big names like Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse doing something a little bit more interesting and maybe even, you know, kind of somewhat transgressive uh, when it comes to like how they're using the rest of these things. Originally, they had that. That was in the funeral scene. Bugs and Mickey show up late getting out of the back of a car with Bing Crosby and Humphrey Bogart and they were playing golf with them and they get out like dressed for golf and they're late to Marvin Acme's funeral. How good was that? That's perfect. Whoever made the call to cut that, I hope, I hope goes (laughs) to hell. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that that would have been that would have been far better because it would have been true to their character. It wouldn't have looked necessarily bad, but it still has those kind of heavy implications and, and everything like that. So well, I, they're I think the that bad boy stars. You yeah, know, they exactly. can get away. They're, they're hanging out with yeah. Humphrey Bogart, who's the you know top always, shit in 1947. They can do whatever yeah. the fuck they want. Right. Like, As that's a kid too, stuff. it always. <laughs> yeah, that always. Uh, I was fascinated because it's like even without knowing the backstory, I could sort of tell as a child something's up here. There's a reason we're seeing Donald and Daffy at all the exact same times. There's Mm -hmm. a reason we're seeing Tinkerbell and Porky Pig are both saying goodbye at the same time. There's a reason we're seeing Bugs and Mickey together. And I was like so amused and I still am that Droopy is alone. There is no equivalent anywhere. Droopy stands alone. (laughs) He doesn't have any guy who can stand shoulder to shoulder. Well, maybe if they had gotten the rights to uh, Popeye or Tom and Jerry or all the ones or any of the Terry tunes that I know that they tried to get the rights to, but they, they couldn't, which was uh, who Ralph Bakshi did a, did a lot of work for um, them. So yeah, yeah, there was, so they, that was some of the stuff that they ended up not being able to get. But I, but I do think that how well they created a, and like cleverly constructed a universe in which, you know, you can have cartoons in it and you can go back to your sort of like, you know, have the childhood glee of just seeing this thing that you maybe grew up loving and seeing it interact. And so it works on that surface level for people who want it, but also incorporating them in a legitimately kind of dark context of uh, which which Branson yeah. kind of briefly briefly alluded to where like the animated cartoon characters are called tunes they have their own city in Los Angeles called Toontown um, and they you know they live their lives and work on movies and go to work like everyone else um, but there is like this very you know like there is this social and political commentary to their inclusion where they are obviously coded as kind of segregated minorities who you know are exploited by this entertainment industry because they are good at making us laugh and there's, you know, people will hand over money for that. Um, but they're also offended at the idea that these tunes would like actually cross the boundaries outside of Toontown or exist inside, you know, where where real people, uh, you know, uh, actually exist and that there actually is kind of like a real life transgression to them being involved in real locations outside of like movie studios because, you know, they're just stunt guys that we pay and they clean up their yeah. fucking d- destruction that they make and they make us laugh and they're 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 useful for making money. And I think at one point too, like the one fucking head goes uh, and they work for peanuts. You know, it's yeah. fucking great. You know, like we could totally just exploit them. And, and, and the critic Dave Kerr actually 
actually had a really excellent uh, observation in his review at the time where he was basically like the film sent th- like this entire idea is the film's like visual motif like it's all the movie has so many doorways and windows and tunnels and curtains and hiding places and, and, and peepholes you know like it was literally it was like th- it feels like the movie is filled with you know elements designed to keep people and things kind of like apart from one another and the whole point of the movie is that you know the cartoons have figured out a way to actually cross those boundaries in ways that he put it that was like both exhilarating and kind of frightening in the the movie context they try to put it in where it does have like a sort of like dark conspiracy noir element to it where characters are murdered over real estate conspiracies and like it like it's it's such an insane world that they came up while also indulging in the wonderful antics of you know roger rabbit being like please you know and (laughs) and, and you know doing doing all the amazing things that he is he is doing and yeah so just like how well it does that and you know actually indulges in the you know the the broad story of these two worlds coming together to work in some form of like elastic harmony in 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 some respects which is obviously meant a little bit to you know be a counterpoint to the racist history of the of of the medium uh it, it, it itself that a lot of animators are quite open with i mean we talked about bakshi last week and his use in fritz the cat of what are essentially the black crows from dumbo um and and yeah. and having a black crow from dumbo get shot by a literal pig cop alongside images of mickey cheering on a you know u.s air force plane napalming a poor black community as if it were vietnam so like these animators are familiar with this kind of racist history and are you know and they they you know and so finding a way to even incorporate it into this and not go for, you know, like the crazy X, you don't have to do the crazy X rated shocks of Ralph Bakshi to do that. Like you can't actually just right. kind of fit it into the story and make a friendly story about Hoskins, who is kind of because of his uh, his his history of having a. Uh, you know, uh, being a private detective gum gumshoe, you know, who is basically a shorter or a rounder, you know, Philip Marlowe or a spade or, or, or whatever, who, who likes to work with tunes until, you know, we find out about his, his history with his brother who was murdered by a tune. And, and I love the detail of like, he you know, dropped a piano on his head, you know, yeah, it's the like the most vicious thing. Murder. <laughs> yeah. The most vicious thing a cartoon can do to someone. And, you Should know, an and, 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 and that a, would also work. Yeah, and, and so that causes him to be like a hateful sourpuss towards poons, uh, towards toons. He's depressed and he can't laugh at their jokes anymore. And he's, you know, he's he's an alcoholic who just goes, huh, toons, while he's like taking a swig of his whiskey and everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so- yeah, it's just... I love how even when this movie is down and dark, it is still some of the biggest laughs in the movie are like when the the montage, you know, when Eddie is passed out and you're just sort of learning about his history through visual like old newspaper clippings. And you see one of his biggest cases was goofy cleared of spy charges. Like it's yes. a low moment for Eddie and it's one of the biggest or, uh, laughs in the movie. Huey, Louie and Dewey kidnapped or something and like, yes. you know, or, or returned back to Donald from kidnappers. I wrote that one down too. Like there's some weird, like, you know, again, merging it like LA movie history where like, I'm sure some starlets kids were probably kidnapped at some point in LA's history and being like, what if that happened to happen to Donald duck? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Goofy being, um, be- being like a, a basically a communist in, in the headline was very funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cleared of spy charges. Yeah. Like 
Just there's some really good stuff in here. McCarthy and, was really going after Goofy. You get to see him in the in the in the court proceedings. You know, I love how Goofy. Speaking of Goofy, like Goofy as a character is like you feel like the structural absence of Goofy in this movie. Like you can tell Roger Rabbit like reveres him and he is sort of, well, like, he's too much like Goofy is the issue. They even give him his overalls, yeah. right? Like it's, you know, they were like, well, we can't really have him hang out with Goofy. He's, he's so modeled after Goofy. <laughs> get blown out of the water by Goofy. It's yeah. also why I don't think Screwy Squirrel or Woody Woodpecker who he, he just has so much in common with certain cartoons. He can't be next to them or he'll, You'll just sort of remember that it's 1988. You yeah, know? he does kind of have that hyper uh, quality that Woody Woodpecker has where it's just like he's just moving all over the place, constantly kind of yelling and all of that very fast. Yeah, even, even though they were OK putting him with bugs because he, he has like similar cheeks and ears to bugs. And, you yeah. know, he has a bunch of elements like he has some he has some stuff taken from Mickey, too. I think he has Mickey's gloves on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Well, he has um, a lot of speaking of like the dark history globe. of cartoons. A lot of cartoon characters wear those gloves because of minstrelsy. It's the, you know, the yeah. early cartoon mm-hmm. Bosco who goes on almost every cartoon character. It just like, you know, from the rubber hose era is just like Bosco with like different ears or different, you know, leg length or whatever. And it's like, that's minstrelsy. They're just, these are minstrel characters that were like, it was, that was how yeah. recently that was happening. And like at the dawn of, these golden age cartoons and so that's why to this day a lot of cartoon characters still wear gloves and it's like it's a it's a very unfortunate uh part of cartoons history yeah i mean well which is why it's smart to like incorporate it into the storytelling if you're actually gonna you know you know really revere this stuff you have to have you know you have to acknowledge kind of the context that it that it came from and and yeah i mean like i just rewatched um the, the the Tex Avery short I love to sing a <laughs> which is literally a parody of, <laughs> of, of, yeah. of, of of the jazz singer right so a little instead of yeah. Al 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 Jolson who was doing blackface in that movie it's Owl Jolson and he's just a little, little owl who loves to walk around and sing jazz songs <laughs> <laughs> which is so, also like on its face that is the most harmless cartoon that's maybe ever been made and then the yes. more you learn about it the more it's like oh no it's uh, ultimately it's built on a blackface thing like geez, Jesus yes, Christ, there's no, no getting out. You of can't it. escape it. You have to. You have to address it if you're gonna, you know, really, you know, if you want these hand drawn delights in your movie, you know, part <laughs> of it, you know, come comes with the territory a little bit. And uh, yeah, but this, but uh, this really gets underway um, when um, Roger Rabbit and Bob Hoskins uh, actually get kind of forced to work together in a sort of like classic noir setting, because I think it's um, uh, Roger is in a rut at the studio because his wife, Jessica Rabbit, might be having an affair with Marvin Acme, the owner of Acme, who creates all of the uh, um, amazing uh, toys in his factory that help all of the Toontown characters with their with their comedy, all the tools that they use. He loves playing gags with his hand uh, shake shockers and invisible ink. Um, And uh, the uh, head of the cartoon studio is who brings in Eddie Valiant, played by Bob Hoskins, to uh, basically take compromising photos of Jessica Rabbit or find out what it is that um, you know she she is up to, which he does by going into the uh, the ink and paint 
nightclub with this great <laughs> dolly uh, tracking uh, 2D uh, animation sequence of, of him making his way into this club. The penguins from Mary Poppins are working as as the, the servers and carrying those real serving platters and everything. And actually all the tunes we see are basically like working class servers if they aren't mm-hmm. like people who work on set, which is another sort of like class detail they're trying to fit in there. Obviously you yeah. get Daffy and Donald having a piano playing competition in, in this scene on, on stage, uh, really sliding along those fucking keys and like shaking the piano benches that they're on. And, and even the detail that always blows my mind is the, their reflections in the piano. Someone oh, yeah. has like, Someone had to hand sell animate that piece by piece that Donald and Daffy actually are playing those fucking pianos and popping out of them and shooting cannons at one another, you know, doing some classic duck on duck violence. Yeah, another there really impressive so many... one is uh, when um, Jessica Rabbit's introduced too, and she does her kind of her first uh, musical number, and she's going out in the crowd and doing like real crowd work with the real life actors. Um, and uh, we kind of mentioned it before, but there is again those like a real like a, a physicality, a weight to how she interacts with the real world. Um, like there's even a great moment where she grabs Hoskins' tie and like lifts it up and pulls yeah. him and everything like that. And it yeah, just, even it looks just putting amazing. shadows on the actors' faces of yeah, like her arm actually like walking by them or interacting with the spotlight lighting of the actual real world set and everything. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and you need to establish that because, like, you know, Jessica Rabbit needs to be this. She's got. She's the. Um, I don't know. I guess in this, you wouldn't call her. I'm. You know, I'm kind of still getting used to the the noir terminology, but she's not technically a femme fatale in this, right? Because she's not. Uh, necess- like, is it? Is it? It's, a, it's almost a mix because she's almost presented as that at first, and then you find out yeah. she's. Not, I guess, in 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 a sense, like a subversion yeah, but, of a film. But but you need to believe that at, at the very least. So it, this this the use yeah. of the effects and the physicality of it all really helps sell that, and it's amazing. They are playing it up in terms of how they animate her. I I, I remember yeah. reading that they were basically like, yeah, she's Rita Hayworth, she's Veronica Lake, you know, she's Lauren Bacall, yeah. like all of these famous like femme fatale sort of like noir actresses. So you know, they they were trying to be like, you know, this is uh the 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 male fantasy of what a femme fatale Mm -hmm. is when they like go to sleep and dream of a cartoon this is what it would look (laughs) like and you know they accomplish that mission everyone's talking about it the sparkling dress the ridiculous uh, form that they draw for her it's just it's I I also I wanted to mention too the the black crows uh, from Dumbo are also her band in the background I was like you know they're kind of throwing throwing everything in here but yeah Jessica Rabbit doing the lounge singing routine is like Kind of like, you know, and and obviously Bob Hoskins, who is watching uh, this and seeing the interactions and, you know, his eyes are practically popping out of his head. I thought he was (laughs) going to do the like Tex Avery, like wolf whistle, uh, you know, like like moment where he was going to fucking lose it. (laughs) Because she is like from straight out of like Red Hot Riding Hood, you know, like she is just like a slightly exaggerated draw of one of those like of those wolves, you know, of the the wolves howling at that redheaded woman. It's I, well, yeah, I saw it uh, fairly recently, even before this, like in a theater, and there was it got a big laugh. One of the actors, one of like the the human actors in that scene, while she's like seducing Eddie, somebody in the odd, not my audience, but in the movie's audience, goes oh. Like he's like coming in his pants. It's such a funny reaction. To her. <laughs> 
yeah, <laughs> that's, the, uh, it, it, another it, detail I love in that scene is the the penguins because it's the Mary Poppins penguins and like yeah. the movie goes out of its way to like let you know it's 1947 and really like put it in time. And, you know, they, they you've just been told, too, that, like, Betty Boop has been having trouble finding work. She's still black and white. Yeah, work's kind of slow since the cartoons went to color, Eddie. But I, I still but got I still the, got you know, the, yeah, the boop, boop, dee doop. <laughs> and I love that he's It's kind of sad, actually. <laughs> it's a, but you learn about him, you know? It's like, oh, this guy's not. He's got a history with cartoons if he and Betty are still on friendly terms, you know? But the, yeah. the mm-hmm. Penguins are from Mary Poppins, which is from 1964, of yep. course they're working as waiters. They've got the they've got like I don't know 17 years ahead of them before any sort of success is coming their way. You know, it's a yep. there's a million little details like that in this movie that are just like so like lived in. It really feels like a real a real movie. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. every single scene literally unless unless it's a very important personal scene between two characters is filled with with cameos and little gags in the background, and it it is honestly wild how much they fit into every single sequence. It's crazy, mm-hmm. and and it's so I it, 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 I really don't think it can be overstated. Like how still hilarious this movie is like there's so totally. many jokes that i it know are works. coming and i've seen them like 10 million times and when they eventually when when they're making all the uh all the all the the sexual noises inside the room it's just uh, jessica rabbit and um uh the the obviously the the owner of acme and you know she was oh, just god stubby k Yes, and 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 when when uh, you know Hoskins wakes out of his days of uh, you know her her I'm not bad I'm just drawn that way like routine that she's got, and he goes to go get the you know the what he's been hired for the private detective fo- photos of her cheating on on Roger Rabbit, and it's just them playing patty cake, and <laughs> yeah. and and. And, and he's just like, yeah, that's right. I caught her playing patty cake. He's like, it's, you know, it's it's not the first guy whose wife's played patty cake on him, you know. And and he's <laughs> handing handing Roger the photos, and he's flipping through them, literally like animation frames. Like he took so yeah. many photos. Like it's like you know, he's literally flipping like twenty four frames a second as he's like ripping through these patty cake shots, it's and like he's so distressed animation. and freaking out. It's it's so good. <laughs> And it's interesting, too, because you do feel, you know, like in the in the sense that Roger Rabbit is a very likable character. He's designed that way. But he is also very um, obnoxious and kind of like, you know, abrasive and loud. And even when he's crying and he's having a scene of like, I've lost my wife and he's 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 on a dump sitting on a dumpster looking at it in the middle of an alleyway. It's still hilarious in a sense because he's just got such exaggerated mannerisms, of course. And and he's just so. Um, he's so distraught to the point where you're like, Oh my God, man, like relax a little. Holy hell. Um, but, but it is, uh, it's very funny in a way. Yeah. Dr- drink a glass of whiskey and then steam <laughs> up the root and fucking explode the room. I do love that bit when he jumps through the window and he breaks through the curtain and window and it is the shape of his body, which is obviously a mm-hmm. great cartoon gag. You see it all the time where they just, they smash into a wall and it ends up in their frame. It doesn't really physically make sense. And the fact that they did it on a real set and real environment in this, where they were like, yeah, the physics of him breaking glass that way doesn't actually make sense. But in this universe, <laughs> Bob Hoskins will look at that and go, yeah, I mean, I've seen it in one of his shorts. So I guess he just, that's just how he does it. That's how he yeah. rips through a, through a building. Yeah, the philosophy this movie has about like props is so fascinating because it, it's airtight. You know, it really does make sense. It's like if a prop is from the human world, 
and like could actually hurt like a gun like could hurt a human that and a tune is carrying it it is not animated it's a real no, it gun real. that's like yeah. floating around but later in the movie there's a cartoon gun which can't kill a person it, it does a different thing you know it's like the gun with all of like the western trope bullets like that They're is hilarious a gun. <laughs> yeah it, like there's difference like if it's from the cartoon world it is animated and if it's from our world it is not animated and the movie yeah, the, is the movie is actually weirdly interested in rules but it is like economical about how it displays those rules to you it just kind of assumes that you understand them because it kind of teaches it to you through the storytelling yeah some of my favorite yeah. like one of my favorite moments is there's a chase and it's bob hoskins driving a cartoon car while the four cartoon gangster guys drive an actual van. And I just, there, there was something about that mix of animation that I just, I really enjoyed it. And, it. and it was interesting just to think about how they would have had to apply probably different techniques to pull off both of those things chasing each other. Cause it's very different, I imagine. Oh um, my God, so. look up if you can, the behind the scenes stunt work on that. That mm. is Bob Hoskins actually riding inside the tiniest dune buggy you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. He's holding- and cover it with the animation. He, and, and he's holding an actual <laughs> steering wheel and everything like that. But it is basically just like, like there's no doors, there's no protections. He's basically just flying around on four wheels and there's a, a guy in a black suit inside the engine beneath him actually doing the stunt driving because they didn't want Bob okay, Hoskins right. doing the driving because the whole point is the car is driving they need yes. bob hoskins's physicality which is that he's lurching around because something else is driving and in control and they need the spontaneous reaction of hoskins like freaking out that they suddenly turn one direction or turn another direction so hoskins is really in the car doing all of that stunt work but he is being basically he's on like a giant fucking like rc car basically oh that wow. with like no with no protections of any kind that they just hand animated around and it is fucking insane if you actually find that footage of him being because like they're driving through real environments up. and everything it's nuts that's awesome i'll have to look that up because uh, i was curious even, how they in the pulled finished, it off. even in the finished movie he feels like he's in danger you know it doesn't feel yep. like <laughs> what's being done to bob hoskins is safe that car by the way uh it this is this cut me off if this is boring but the that car by the way is modeled i believe i, I have no proof on this except like come on i think that car is modeled off of the car from mickey's rival the short where Mickey's, uh, I forget his name, but like Mortimer Rat, I think, shows up and he's like twice the size of Mickey. And the short gets like sort of bored of Mortimer about halfway through. And it spends an inordinate amount of time with this car that looks and moves exactly like Benny from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So I think they pulled Dang. that car as oh, reference that's for Benny. The same way that as a kid, I was very frustrated that the weasels weren't real, like real in the way that like there were no weasel shorts I could then go back and watch because I liked them so much. But they They're are hilarious. a little bit based on the weasels from um, uh, Wind in the Willows from, I think, 49, hmm. the, the Disney short or the Disney film. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, oh, I, I love all of the scenes with with the weasels, because similar to the one with the car, where it's like you're seeing this, you know, there's some in some of the best scenes where you get the animated stuff, like really interacting with the real environment, because the car is yeah. doing some amazing things, like actually crashing through barriers, which, again, if you see the behind the, the scenes stuff, like there's nothing crashing through those barriers. They're just like, like they had to create this <laughs> thing where, you know, they, they basically just like rigged a barrier to explode off screen and they but they had to time it with real 
people who were driving the cars around them because there's actual stunt drivers and there's actual people walking through the streets. It's a real set. So, but then they were just like, and here's the explosion timed and all the people have to react to it, which is going to be eventually the car crashing through or doing whatever he's doing. And the weasels get a lot of that stuff too. I love that slapstick suspense sequence when the Reasels first arrive at, at um, Eddie's place. And obviously they have that great, great gag throughout the whole movie where they start laughing. And when they start laughing, they basically just like become useless because they just fucking love gags. And you can always trust a cartoon <laughs> to just fucking think something's hilarious. But that whole sequence when Roger is hand, he handcuffs himself to Eddie being like, Oh my God, Eddie, you know, you gotta help me. You gotta help me out of this situation. Cause essentially, you know, I'm assuming people have seen it, but like, you know, uh, he, he get, he, uh, there's a reason it's called who framed Roger rabbit. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Acme, uh, gets, gets murdered. And Roger is obviously the number one suspect due to the circumstantial evidence that the last time they saw him, uh, it was, they were showing him photos of Acme having playing patty cake with his wife, um, and him crying and freaking out and, you know, d- you know, doing everything that 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 he's doing and in the meantime also i think well, that's partially when we're introduced to uh christopher lloyd's judge doom as well and his mm-hmm. uh With you know black scene. cloak and giant fake oh. chiclet looking teeth and just just sort of a, a cartoonishly oppressive vision of like a violent uh, authority figure and he's the one who has hired the gangster uh weasels uh to rein in the insanity of 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 the tunes and but doing so really really ruthlessly by putting them in this dip that is a mix of i think it said turpentine acetone and benzene it's functionally just like acid that he brutally melts and and kills tunes in inside of which is a detail that detail where it almost looks like he has like blood on his glove after executing the little cartoon shoe and and i know at one point too they even suggested that like they're they're meant to say they are just genociding the 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 tunes that they, they actually wanted to call it not the dip the final solution at one point and i think disney actually told them that they couldn't do that (laughs) because they were basically like look we want we we want to make christopher lloyd like an actual nazi you have against cart against tunes essentially um but 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 going back to my point the, the 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 fucking weasels and the way that they are actually carrying the little handguns around and the Tommy guns around, which are being held mm-hmm. on little wires while they're in his apartment, the way that they'll fling a chair and, you know, Eddie is holding Roger in the sink, you know, basically drowning him being like, I got nothing here. I'm just what doing my dirty laundry, you know, all of that. And the, and the way the weasels are actually threatening to him and holding a gun to his head. And it does help that that gun feels real. You are, you will yeah. believe it that Bob Hoskins, that a, a cartoon weasel is threatening to blow Bob Hoskins brains out in front of you. And it's not just like, you know, like that's something that would happen in this movie. You imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Or and the you, little splash for the sink water that he does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the little details yeah. are. are how, yeah. That, how did they do that now that I think about it? Yeah. It, and it's, it's, like, because the weasel actually does splash water at him. That's true. They paid him. They up. paid that weasel to splash the water and he did. Yeah. It. <laughs> and having the cartoons like, you know, that they're already predisposed to being violent and violence in general. So when he does point the gun at him, you're like, yeah, this guy's totally ready to, to blow him away. Um, and then I like that, like when we get to the the um, the Acme factory where uh, Christopher Lloyd's introduced at first, they're just showing like a bunch of the kind of almost classic cartoon uh, weapons that you'd see, like a hammer or a big axe or like that missile the mallet gun with, with the, the boxing glove target. in it. Yeah, stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. Exactly. And then when you're introduced to Lloyd and you get the, the dip, there's just something so much more visceral and real, especially the way he dips the shoe in there. Like he does it incredibly slow. So you get like the shoe 
reacting to his body melting and it's actually screaming uh, and horrifying. it's just it really is and and like you said Josh it has like the blood it basically heavily implied blood at the end just just dripping from his from his uh from his hand and like I was watching it with a buddy um he just he just happened to come by for a little bit and and watched a little bit of it and it happened to be that scene and he said out loud he's like why is he going so slowly? Because <laughs> like, yeah. it just seems so much more extra torture just to do that. He could have just dipped it in, and you know, it's not like that's any better. But like, it, it, it's it's really he's trying to to harm the the tune, and it's just uh, yeah, it, and, 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 and it, it, it wants to fuck with you. It wants to be yeah. like, hey, look, look at this beautiful Dumbo that we have on loan from Disney, just hanging out on set. Don't you love Dumbo? Now here's one of Dumbo's <laughs> friends. Now here's him being. Yeah excruciatingly murdered right in front of you you know yeah. like the, and it's like the it, cutest design so perverse thing too. <laughs> they don't grab like like one of the like more rough around the edges kind of uh cartoons that have that you've done that you've seen more violence done to or done uh themselves instead they have like the cutest little shoe cartoon get 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 it done to them it's just so much more actually- crude and mean I feel like it almost softens the moment in like a, in a in a helpful way because it's so cute that the scene almost takes on this vibe of like okay well that thing was clearly designed to die you know that thing was designed <laughs> to elicit the most emotion it's it doesn't feel like a real guy got killed it's like okay you know it's a, it's a, the bunny in cool world to jump ahead the bunny who gets ripped off in the dice game it's almost like oh, right. well yeah. The bunny is so cloyingly cute. He, he, he was designed. That it was his function to be drawn was to be fucked with. Or, <laughs> <Die>. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. I mean, you, you definitely wouldn't feel as much. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe you would. But baby Herman is, you know, not not as cute when he's smoking his stogie and like right. saying like, hey, toots, like I just check out my three year old dinky, you know, or whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. it is that he's saying. <laughs> exactly. I actually think it would be way rougher. I think it would be way more disturbing so? to watch baby. T- maybe because it's an actual killed. baby and not a shoe. So you would be watching like a baby <laughs> just <laughs> fucking melt human. away. Hold, hold, hold him by his like, diaper, <laughs> dropping him in. Oh my god. He's a guy, you know? He's like a character with dimensionality rather than just like a cute shoe that's like flirting with another shoe. Like I <laughs> I think it would be more fucked up shoe to kill rights, baby bro. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That shoe did not deserve to die. No. No. <laughs> oh. No, all he wanted to do was snuggle. He wanted to make people laugh, you know. Yeah. But uh but you know, he wanted in, to be in, worn in, around in, the world. Instead, there is a conspiracy to uh, to to murder tunes and, uh, you know, something to do with uh, Acme, you know, had he was the true owner of Toontown. And, you know, if he were to die, his will would be to leave it to all of the all of the tunes. But clearly someone wants to uh, subvert that in in some capacity. Could it be the Mm. most evil man you've ever seen on screen? Um, (laughs) Yeah, right away. (laughs) He's sinister the moment you look at him, too. It's it's kind of wild that, that character introduction. Yeah, because because as we've been you know saying, like Bob Hoskins has a little bit of a thorny relationship with Tunes, but even he goes immediately like, dude, this guy is like incredibly <laughs> what the evil hell? and like like to a racist degree against Tunes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it, it it becomes a little bit more sort of like slapstick action heavy as Roger rabbit and uh bob hoskins eddie are you know kind of aligned with one another in this conspiracy because they start going like look 
clearly someone is trying to frame Roger for it. Clearly someone paid me to be in, involved in taking those photos and, 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 and doing that. And Jessica Rabbit also, you know, was, was, was partially involved in this. So like clearly, you know, something is, 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 uh, uh, afoot. Uh, but I do like also that the movie, you know, does take its time to just like indulge in like a joke scene. One of my favorite scenes is just Bob Hoskins, his hairy shirtless scene of him just hanging out with, uh, uh <laughs> Jessica rabbit looking like a sexy, like Danny DeVito, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, just a, you know, just little little stuff like that, or and taking like the time his to do head off her boobs and stuff. Like it's just... yeah, <laughs> yeah, because she's like seven feet tall and he's like four foot five. It's yeah, or, awesome. or, or 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 taking the time to do like the the great character gags, like after the scene with the weasels when Roger Rabbit had handcuffed to him and created an entire sequence where you know like they they were quite literally handcuffed in in the situation. Like they were like, oh my god, we have so few escape routes from these weasels because we have this physical uh, you know sort of limitation. And when when finally uh, Bob Hoskins gets out of there and he's sawing the handcuffs off, and literally Roger Rabbit just like slips his hand up because he's a fucking animated character. He could just make his arms skinny and all of a sudden he's out. Mm-hmm. And just Bob Hoskins gets one of the best re- like lines and reaction shots you could possibly get, which is, you know, being like, you could have taken your hands out of those cuffs at any time through that whole set piece where we were stressed oh, yeah. we were going to die. And he's yeah. just like, you know, not at any time. Only, only when it was funny, you know, that's, the, that's my favorite line in the whole thing, because it, it's, it's just it, it gives them almost like they're not only his philosophy on life, but their rules, exactly. like their physical rules that they yeah. have to go by. It's like I, I couldn't actually get out of there because I couldn't find a comedic exit. And I need that. <laughs> I just love the commitment. To and the he bit. would like die for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's truly committed to the bit. Well, yeah, the, the, the way that they show that, like the slapstick nature of it all is something that is like actually like natural to them and like ingrained in who they are as people something they're skilled at something that is baked into their personalities and he always wants to laugh has like a fun song where he starts like smashing plates over his head and uh, stuff, so and, good. and he's like, "No pain, no pain, no pain." But he just well, keeps- and, 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 and and the best thing is, is it's because the record is scratching and skipping, right? So it keeps repeating oh, right. on, yeah. on the beat, and he's he like, "Well, I'm committed." Yeah, he's like, "I'm he committed to, to this bar going. song. This yeah. is the beat. This is the cue." So he keeps breaking the plate over and over again because he can't possibly break the cue, even though the plate is obviously is taking having yeah. an having an effect on him, like he's just doing a stunt essentially he's doing a Jackie Chan stunt or something like that. Um, and <laughs> you know, he, he's just, a, he, he's just a showman. It, it, right. You know, he, it's he is. just who, who he is. A lot of it is Charles Fleischer's uh, performance too. He is so, he's so like vulnerable and sincere when he tells Eddie, like I could only do it when it was funny. And it like, that makes it even funnier, but it also, it's like sort of makes you love Roger a little. It's like, yeah. Oh, this guy means it. You know, this guy's not like, this isn't an act. He is, he'll die if it comes to it. And the way he acts with his voice, there's a lot of whining. There's almost like there's a desperation to want to be so funny too. Yeah. That, yeah. that I kind of really like from Roger. There's, he's just, he's, he is, um, what you would get out of like a classic leading cartoon character, but there's so much pain that he seems to be just holding back. And so <laughs> some of the like crazy chaotic comedy that comes out seems like more, um, I don't know, impulsive than say somebody like Bugs Bunny who always seems to have a plan, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I th- there's even a part where Judge Doom even uses that nature against him too at one point, which is very funny. When he's just he's go- he's like, I I know that he's in here somewhere, and he's knocking on the bar wall, and he's doing like the shave and a haircut rhythm or whatever, and he's just like, <laughs> he, he, and, and he's literally like Roger Rabbit is like twist his insides are twisting as he's like, oh my god, I, I have to complete this routine. He's making the call, you know, I have to burst through and sing the song, you yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, even though it's gonna reveal where where they're where they're hiding in in the wall and everything like that which starts the uh the the the, the eventual car set piece um that they do which also i gotta say one of my favorite gags in, in the car set piece is when uh they uh which obviously there's some amazing stunt work too where like they're the weasels are chasing them on on the bikes and they're crashing into cop cars and the cops are like flying hundreds of feet in the air and everything like that but there's a part where they smash the uh, button or the the lever where it's like this fucking lever idiot as it pops out and he slam yeah. he he he, pull, he pulls it down and the wheels shoot up and the car goes over top of the cop car but then they're about to hit a bridge and i love that the car the car benny which is also voiced by charles fleischer by the way he's a really talented guy um they uh that line that he gets was like, what do you call the middle of a song? And they don't actually, I don't even know if they actually say it in the dialogue or not, but that is shot with a POV shot of them crashing into the fucking bridge. (laughs) So the (laughs) the gag is completed by the actual physical shot, which is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Another great one. And it's a full on reference, I think to a Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, um, uh, uh, sketch which is the open season one, the one where uh, El, El, is it Elmer, Elmer Fudd? Uh, he, he's hunting yeah, yeah, down boy. Bugs Bunny. and But yeah, yeah, El, it's Elmer Fudd uh, <laughs> and it's Bugs Bunny and I think Daffy Duck. And they have that whole, it's the reverse psychology uh, gag where he's just like, um, it's rabbit season, it's duck season, it's rabbit season, it's right. duck season. And then they switch on him so Daffy Duck gets shot. And they do that exact gag in this when he's trying to make um, Roger Rabbit take a shot of alcohol. And he's just like... Uh, um, he says something like, uh, like you do want to drink. Yeah, you do want to drink. I don't want to <laughs> drink. You do. You don't. And then he drinks it or something. I just love that. that yeah, was well, a direct yeah, reference. yeah, because he, he does it enough times that he switches until he convinces right. him to do otherwise. <laughs> right, right. And that's um, I, I can't even remember what year that was from, but I think it's the 40s, uh, which is the open season sketch from the Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. So it was just cool to see that exact reference, but done with alcohol this time. <laughs> It actually comes after the timeline of this movie, which means Eddie invented oh. that and Bugs Bunny ripped him off. Really? I That's thought it so was funny. an older yeah. cartoon. I didn't realize it no, was it, from it, the... No, it, it, it is. I, I think uh, Branson's just saying that it didn't exist at the time that Eddie did it in the film. Like, it oh, came out. Oh, I see uh, what oh, you're yes, saying. Oh, yes, yeah. I see what you're I saying. I think the short That's is from, like, bad. 51 or something. Yeah. No, there's there's so there's honestly there's so many gags like per minute in this. You you can't even like catalog, <laughs> you know, all of them. Like it's 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 ridiculous while also maintaining, you know, like a little bit of the, you know, the the, the noirish intrigue of of the mystery and doing a little bit of the, you know, the the sad backstory stuff like when they go to the uh, theater and you know he you know Bob Hoskins actually tells Roger like why it is that he is you know sort of bitter towards tunes that you know he had a piano dropped on him from 15 stories and <laughs> you know he had a red eyes and a squeaky voice and it was it was, it was horrible and I, I love that Roger's just trying to like enjoy the the cartoons at the theater he's just like man because oh, that, that's Goofy's appearance Goofy isn't playing in the theater and he's like man I love Goofy Goofy's like a genius 
You know, mm-hmm. you could tell that he like reveres him as like a fellow just like actor and creator, uh, essentially. And I love that bit, too, where he's like, well, what's coming on next? I hope it's another cartoon. And then it's like a newsreel. And he's like, oh, man, a fucking <laughs> newsreel to deliver some exposition was- about the cloverleaf conglomerate that, you know, might be involved in <laughs> all this greed, oh, sex plot. and murder in Toontown. <laughs> oh, the plot. Exactly. <laughs> ah, boo. That was the most relatable. Back to the car chases. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it, but yeah, I, I I just love that it, it maintains this balance of wackiness and and darkness throughout. Like just the you know Bob Hoskins interrogating the head of Rogers Cartoon Studio. You know, revealing that you know I was just trying to blackmail Acme. You know, I wasn't trying to kill him or anything like that. And before he can get anything else out, like a giant silver pistol, just actually blasts him yeah. away. And there actually is like you know, there's not the blood squib, but there is the actual like tearing of his suit and everything as the impact hits and he's getting killed and you know almost kills Eddie as as well and you know again Hoskins has to do like a fucking crazy role that he does in that scene too it's a very sweaty physical performance uh, and really committed performance considering you know all that he's hanging out with a bunch of cartoons there's even like a couple moments with uh, I think it's with the the cartoon studio CEO Um, they have some some decent lines when they sneak into the studio and he's like uh, uh, you you need a heart before you can have a heart attack but one of my favorite lines is uh, (laughs) I'm a cartoon maker not a murderer and he's like everyone's got a hobby (laughs) that's a great line Um, but then they even do have some kind of more like gangster imagery where they they put his tie into that machine and start rolling it up Um, oh yeah it's it's like um, a violent interrogation sequence straight out of just like a like a noir yeah yeah it felt like uh that reminded me of like kiss me deadly or something you know it's just like yeah Mm -hmm. most fucked up thing i could do to a guy (laughs) yeah exactly Yeah, and then and then it leads to a to to a set piece where obviously Eddie at some point has to go into Toontown because Jessica Rabbit has kidnapped Roger at at, at one point, despite you know saying that she was only hired to take compromising photos with Acme. He's not sure. That, that's when I think he gets the Yosemite Sam six shooter with all the sentient Western bullets, which are pretty funny. Yeah, and, you know he's chasing her into Toontown, and and Hoskins does get to do a whole sequence in basically like the full animated world with some you yeah. know some some pretty great like physical gags where he has to learn the logic and physics of of uh that world they even do steal the uh red hot um um riding hood bit not just the one where the the wolf is uh whistling and uh you know hooting at 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 the sexy lady which is what most people remember but that whole bit when he um chases little red riding hood home and instead gets sexy granny who's dressed up oh, and actually yeah. wants to have sex with the wolf. And he's like, Oh no. Oh, and they, they actually do a whole repeated set piece of that in, in this where he's, you know, trying to chase down sexy Jessica rabbit. And instead it's like, you know, it's this, it's this old woman who's chasing after him. And they, uh, they also do a little bit of that, that, that gravity bit when he opens yeah. the door and they're, you know, it's, it's all the, you know, it's, it's a nonsense door that's at the top of a skyscraper. And he, you know, just seeing Bob Hoskins get to do a moment that like Wiley kind Coyote would be doing where he's like, yeah. oh, I've ran off a cliff and now I'm in the air for hanging here, pondering my mistakes before I, you know, before Tweety Bird comes and fucks me up. You know, one of my well, favorites like the little is things the, of uh, like, oh, sorry, well, like the like he'll fall out of frame and his hat is still spinning and then impossibly his hand reaches back up into the frame to grab the hat is like, yeah, he's in Toontown. You know, it's like he can't stretch yeah. his body. But he mm-hmm. can still like break reality in certain ways because that's the rules of Toontown. And Bob Hoskins sells it 
so perfectly of like, this is not fun for me. Like, I hate that this is happening. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really cool, too, to see him be affected by uh, some of the, the more animated physics, like when he's in the elevator with the dog. Um, who is honestly, I can't remember what the, his name is. Um, the, the elevator oh, Droopy. host. That's, that's, that's Droopy, Droopy, right? Oh, that's yeah. Droopy, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, just, you can tell by the way he speaks, like he's <laughs> right. Droopy. Have a good day, <laughs> sir. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. And just calling him sir at the end of every single mishaps, it was yeah. just absolutely hilarious. And Your I love floor, that. Your floor, sir. <laughs> yeah. And you get to see Hoskins like <laughs> shrink into like a, like a, what, what's that instrument that's kind of of like a, a accordion or whatever the accordion um, yeah yeah he's yeah. kind of flattened and then he goes back into the the ceiling when it goes up and like just tossed out of the elevator um it was just awesome to see hoskins have to go through that as well um and uh it, once he starts to he even he even at one point takes the revolver because he's trying to battle the cartoons so he has to use one of their weapons and like send seven of those western styled bullets uh into the tunnel and everything and, and they all get lost because they can't see they're like oh, they're <laughs> yeah. so old yeah. they're like wait, wait, where did he go did he i went that way <laughs> yeah it's it's great i, lo- I love an the old sequence. pat butchrum doing one of the bullets too he, that's cool that's cool brought out everyone for this yeah, no, there, there's some hilarious just like, you know, seeing Bob Hoskins have to deal with the animated use uh, uh, world um, uh, physics and, and everything like that. The uh, uh, when he's walking along the shadowy alleyway, like he's in a noir and then he sneezes and his yeah. shadow says Kazunte. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, yeah, no, there's there's like a and, and this is obviously where the, the bugs and, and, and Mickey part is that we were saying is right, not necessarily falling. the best use of bugs and Mickey. You would think that they would have a little bit heavier hitting of a, of a scene like that funeral scene. I, I do like the the bit when he's they're like, you don't have a parachute, man. And he's they're like, we have a spare and they hand him a spare tire. You know, yeah, that's, just, that's that feels yeah. like something fucked up like, that they, those assholes stinker. would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do like <laughs> we got an that Stinker. People forget, so but Mickey's bizarre. a fucking asshole. Yeah, he, maybe yeah. more than Bugs Bunny. That <laughs> that whole short where he's just torturing like, animals uh, is that the Steamboat Willie one where he's just Steamboat literally Willie, like he's a monster. He's literally just terrorizing everything that comes into the frame in Steamboat Willie. Like like Mickey Mouse is yeah, a freak the, and a pervert. Um, and I would have actually liked to seen a little bit more of that from him in this. The first yeah. half of but Mickey Mouse's career is like Old Testament God, and then and yeah. then he, <laughs> then he like re he rebrands somewhere in the middle there and becomes like oh I just love Minnie and I. I love my friends like it's kind of like that it's very uh I don't know where the turn he happened does, but he was a vicious he like carries a gun and like stabs people early on and then later <laughs> on he's like oh we gotta open the parks and yeah. like puts all that yeah. away <laughs> yeah man it's but in this movie he's more disturbing than bugs because bugs you expect like murder like bugs is yeah. not above like killing a guy for sort of no reason like that's fine for but sure. when Mickey just laughs, laughs that's like way more fucked up. <laughs> that is, yeah, there's there's like more ominous energy to that for sure. <laughs> like he didn't have oh, to do he's anything. He's just he's so in charge. He's king. He's Mickey Mouse that he just watches them get tortured and laughs at it. He's just like, this is all entertainment yeah. for me. I'm Mickey yeah, Mouse. It's, it's, like it's a lot more boss. horrifying than Roger's Roger's uh, natural predilection towards just like entertaining people and making people happy and 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 making yeah. them laugh. You know, right? That's, exactly. It seems more yeah. sweet. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I even like that Jessica Rabbit says that at one point because Bob Hoskins is like, you know, like, what do you even see in this guy? Like, you're the sexiest cartoon anyone has ever drawn in in the history of cartoons. He's an annoying rabbit. And uh, she's just like, he makes me laugh. 
Yeah. Like, you know, it's adorable. And that's, it's, that's it's right. bolstered by uh, Betty King Boop's win. line, too. Betty Boop goes like, it, you get a lot of world building when uh, he's like, that's the dame that's married to, to Roger Rabbit. And she goes, yeah, lucky girl. And it's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> yeah, a tune would be more sexually attracted to comedy than anything else, right? Like that just, that makes an, enough sense for the movie to function mm-hmm. on, you know? Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd be king for sure. Yeah, and, it, it, you know, it, it does make it a little bit more sad when you're like, oh, no, they're going to drop Roger and Jessica into the, uh, the, the, the the dip and they're going to acidically melt all of uh, uh, all of Toontown because it is revealed that the entire plot, which is so it's so funny how much it is just lifted from Chinatown. I don't know what kid they thought would yeah. think like Chinatown's <laughs> fucking sick. I fucking I love that movie. You know, like this is such an inclusion just for adults that I just don't even understand what they were thinking. I mean, I watch it now grown up and I have seen Chinatown. The first time I watched this, I had not seen Chinatown. I was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, sure. about LA's public transit, you know, I don't know, whatever. I don't know what's <laughs> LA, you know, but, <laughs> but, but now I watch it and I'm like, oh my God, they actually did fucking do that shit in the history of LA. And, you know, like, and, and it literally when, when Christopher Lloyd, who is meant to, who was meant in the script to be basically a Nazi, is declaring the vision of LA of like freeways and billboards and yeah. gas stations. Yeah. And, you know, like the, he's literally just describing what LA would be in a couple of years. And it's like, as like, you know, as if it's like this amazing, you know, not hellscape, uh, but you know, it will be because he's evil monologuing about it and everything like that. But just to include that as like the ultimate political conspiracy of all of this, that he is genociding cartoons over Los Angeles real estate to create, you know, endless highways that nobody likes. Everyone wishes that LA had a functional public transit, you know, like, like the one where Bob Hoskins and all the poor delinquent kids just like sneak on the back of it and are like, you know, why even pay for this shit? You know, like we don't need to, you know, who would drive a car? Who would sit in a car and look at billboards for five hours when you could just have the best LA transit that, you know, I I think at one point they literally say LA has like the best transit in the entire world, which is, you know, it's a huge laugh uh, when you watch it. Yeah. A joke, even in 1988, that was funny but is probably like even funnier now and yeah like that had like if if that played at a rep screening in LA which I'm assuming where you watched it Branson that has to be like a like a knock down the house kind of joke line (laughs) or they get so mad they just people are throwing their bras at the screen it's (laughs) yeah they love that shit it's it's also like it's interesting that like because you know like Toontown is sort of like a stand in here for the neighborhoods in the Chavez ravine that were like demolished to build Dodger stadium. Like there is like, there's a lot of real world stuff. That's very sad and like a huge bummer. And there is this sort of like, uh, like once upon a time in Hollywood sort of like revisionism happening in this movie that makes it like, there's this very like melancholy undercurrent to the movie of like, of course, none of this actually happened. And judge doom actually got his way and people actually (laughs) died. Like it's very sad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but they were like, what if? What if Bob Hoskins yeah. was there and he and he did a little vaudeville dance that made a bunch of weasels literally laugh themselves to death? And then they sprayed Christopher Lloyd's Nazi with uh, acid dip and he just like exploded. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, what I if, love what if that this. was what the history of L.A. actually was that that we wrote about? <laughs> I love the, uh, the transition with uh, with Lloyd as well, where he 
like at first they have again kind of a very because because you know without the reveal you don't necessarily know that he's a tune and he starts to get uh rolled over by the giant cement roller and oh my god it's kind of crazy because at first you're just like this is happening like to a man on screen in this pg pg-13 <laughs> film this is fucking wild and like the only thing yeah. that's missing B- is because his feet have been like super glued to the floor while the steamroller is going yeah. over him and my god the dummy work watching that dummy actually get crushed and then still like move and try to talk as like a flattened pancake oh what an yeah. incredible effect <laughs> yeah the effects are awesome and then it turns really creepy too because like christopher Lloyd already had this very unblinking giant eyed stare but then they put his actual body in with these big cartoon red eyes that are like two times the size of his normal eyes and it's just yeah. so unsettling it is still very you know it's it's a cartoon so there's kind of like a, a wackiness to it a little bit of a com- comedy to it but it, just the the size of them and the like the stare that never ends is honestly unsettling so that big reveal oh, was yeah. cool and i did like the inflating himself where that's a classic cartoon thing um but you get to see it actually done physically because he still has the physical body of a human but the cartoon eyes so it's it's yeah cool. well because well, that's what happens when he blows himself up like a balloon it actually pops his eyeballs out which is why you actually <laughs> right. they, they actually they actually reference it earlier too when the box full of acme eyeballs just falls out uh, during mm-hmm. the scene where we first introduced him and he's literally like slipping and sliding on the various eyeballs throughout yeah. the scene he just accidentally keeps tripping over them and stuff so they actually set that, that up first too. scene at the yeah. warehouse is the movie just being like watch this space like we are setting the climax up we're Be coming back yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Now, 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 but but you you don't expect to see Bob Hoskins like on a pogo stick and like doing pratfalls and like juggling Banana and all slipping. the shit that that, that <laughs> he's doing while while Roger and Jessica Rabbit are being like threatened with the acid nozzle as if it's like a laser in a Bond movie where yeah. they're just like tied up and you know it's <laughs> slowly do. getting closer to them like it's such a ridiculous climax. I do love their sweet little line that she tells him where she's like, "You are magnificent." better than goofy <laughs> that's <just> yeah. great <laughs> that's awesome. yeah because that's goofy's his favorite she knows yeah. and it's so, it's so right romantic there. you know I love, it. I love it and also i love that there's this the subtlest implication that she might have slept with goofy <laughs> yeah oh yeah wow i goofy's mean he's got it going on but not like roger yeah i mean goofy um, goofy's a star that's what we learned from yeah, all of I mean, and also goofy's been cleared of charges him? more importantly you know that's right he's not a he's not a spy for the for the communists and maybe he's got that d we don't know it does yep. feel like a movie where like goofy would be credited as like goofy like in parentheses archival footage you know it's like goofy yeah. as himself <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a great climax. I, I grew up watching this film, so I've I've always, uh, you know, uh, d- d- with this film, I've always just found more and more detail to it that I, I never picked up on. This was my first time picking up on that. The um, that the uh, singing Sinatra sword is meant to be from the, the Prince Valiant um, comic stuff. Um, mm. Oh, yeah, because I. So because that was something I just wouldn't had no idea about uh, before before watching this. And it's always just been like, I don't know, it's a funny sword, you know, <laughs> it's a good gag, you know. <laughs> but again, they've it's like funny. they've thought through so many of the details of this. It's a, it's amazing. It really is. So because it's, it's so funny, like Sinatra, the Wizard of like, Oz I, melting scream that fucking Christopher Lloyd does too, like the oh, witch. Yeah. It's great. Like there's so, there's so much movie history like in this one film. It really is just like full of like a love of film. 
And I like I like that they also uh, still pull off kind of a adult joke at the end of it too with with um, Jessica saying, "Let's go home and I'll make you a carrot cake." I'm like, "Holy shit." <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty. That's a wild line. I never realized when I was younger, um, but yeah, it's 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 just so much fun. It really is a, a very very fun movie. And yeah, the the deep historical references to to animation in Hollywood is is just it's and noir is it's very cool. Um, I don't like, there's really nothing like it. The what, something that's interesting about this movie but before we we get off of it is the um, the surviving nine old men who are you know Disney's like key animation team who were all retired. They were all retired by this point. The last nine old men, the last member of the nine old men, I think retired. Their last movie was great mouse detective, which would have been a few years before this. Uh, Frank Thomas, who is the Frank of Frank and Ollie, who's like a beloved old man. He's just like, everyone's like sweet natured grandpa. He saw this movie and he didn't like it. And there's an anecdote that uh, Richard Williams shares in what's uh, the animator survival kit of talking to Frank Thomas after this movie. And he was like, you know, cause he really, he revered these guys. He looked up to them and saying like, Frank, what did you think? And sort of, you know, like the very human thing of like sort of looking for a compliment from him. And Frank just sort of like looking, he's a sweet guy, just looking for something positive to say and being like, you know, the kids I saw it with seemed to really like it. And Richard Williams just, <laughs> <made a crush. laughs> Oh <Fire>. man. <laughs> no. He was like, maybe, maybe, maybe he didn't like that. You know, Pinocchio only shows up for the last scene or something, you know, like he could have, could have, could have used some of my guys a little bit more, you know? <laughs> I think his point was that Roger was not, um, animated, uh, relatably enough. I think it was like that he was going for, I, I, I might be incorrectly paraphrasing a dead man. So I'm sorry, but, uh, <laughs> I think it was that, uh, Roger, they went so hard on so many gags with Roger that he, as an animator was like, I sort of lost his character. It's a very mm. inside baseball complaint. Yeah. Yeah. They I were like, he wasn't that. on model enough, man. This character that you just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like, wasn't a discernible enough animated character. I, I mean, I could kind of see that, but I also think that it's like Roger's whole persona or personality was like trying to encompass the greatest of them all and be like, the best oh, animated yeah. character in a, in a sense. Like that's what he's striving to be, you know, better than yeah, he's meant to be a love letter, I mean? right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I mean, the I, movie I kinda does it's Babe Ruth pointing at the outfield, you know, pointing beyond the outfield being like when it says better than goofy, good. I mean, that is one of the all time <laughs> animated characters, you know, like better yeah, than that's, goofy. that's a called shot. That is. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's tough to, <laughs> that's tough to pull off for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but they they save the day, you know. L- Toontown yes. is no longer going to be threatened by corrupt LA developers. The Acme's will was written in disappearing ink, which is a funny gag. Um, you know, <laughs> Bob Hoskins kisses Roger, and uh, that's all, folks. You know, that's it. They 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 did it. Um, yeah, Porky even even though as uh, as as we know, Doom line. did eventually win the battle for Los Angeles, uh, and he did beat the Toons ultimately with his his vision. <laughs> but that's uh, why we watch so movies. He, <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, forget it. For, forget <laughs> it, Jake. It's Toontown kind yeah. of deal, you know. Like that's that's exactly. that's, that's what that's what they went for. Um, but uh, remember, yeah, it, no, Jake, if, if we if, won. 
Yeah. <laughs> if we're uh, pivoting towards the uh, reductive rating round, uh, this one, this one's a five for me. This one's been a five since I was like a nice. kid. And I, but I, but I will say I'm not, it, it's not just because I, you know, grew up with it. Cause there's a lot of stuff I watch now that I was like, oh man, that was not as good as I remember. That did not hold up. But this is mm-hmm. just one that like, you know, again, the entire concept of the two noir thing merging the 1940s golden age of animation you know merging it so well with the you know the the world of 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 film noir and noir pastiches like things like chinatown and you know doing that on one level so technically amazing like actually pulling it off it's gorgeous it's interactive the environment it like it's it's totally thrilling to watch these guys clearly love and are you know you know they love the things that are great about animation and great about noir they're getting that you're getting the best of both worlds while also you know they're totally involved in the history of both of them they've clearly watched all of them they have so many you know lovingly detailed references they're even taking in some of the thornier elements and actually you know including some genuinely horny and violent because I mean that's it is you can't make this movie because noir is one of the horniest genres of any genre of, of American film. Oh yeah. So like it's that has to be porn. in here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it is it, it's it's hor- it's, it, it's incredibly violent. So like those aspects make their way in some of the dark social political commentary stuff that's baked into the sort of capitalist racist history of both film and and animation including all of that stuff. Um and just again doing like a perfect recreation but also you know trying to take it beyond animating on ones creating an amalgamation of these characters you know doing things that aren't the exact same as watching a tex avery or dave fleischer uh, short but capturing the spirit of doing that as and merging it with these incredible live action elements and the amount of just painstaking effort that goes into this film and while also feeling so light and on its feet and feeling like it's, you know, you know, just, you know, it, it wants to hang out and just goof off. But it, you but you watch it like when you're an adult and you're like, oh, my God, the lighting, the motion control, the, the, the prop puppets, how they would have had to animate over top of all of the elements they had to cover up because they wanted to just show a weasel holding a gun. And instead of just being like, what if it's a cartoon gun? They were like, no, what if a giant puppet man w- holding a clear wire <laughs> held a gun and we actually had to stage the guns interactions in the scene with Bob Hoskins uh, and then yeah. put the cartoon holding it after the fact. Like it's just, it's just so you can have rules thi- in the world that are established yes. between cartoons and humans. Like that's awesome. Yeah. Like, like you only put that level of effort. If you are passionate about this genre history, you're passionate about the effect that it's actually going to have viscerally on the audience when they watch this stuff. So again, this whole movie is just watching Dean Cundy get to shoot one of the most beautifully stylized, like, child versions of Chinatown, which is an insane thing to even suggest exists, mixed with Chuck Jones doing, you know, some freewheeling slapstick anarchy kind of stuff. And it's just, again, the way it breaks the barrier between those two things, the same way that the actual characters are breaking the barriers within the worlds. Like it's, it's formally inventive. It's fast. It's totally joyous. And yeah, I've just, as I've gotten older, I've just totally, you know, fallen more in love with it, understanding more of its movie nerd references 
references more of the actual production history of film and animation. And yeah, it's also just like an incredibly weird and perverted thing to have made as much money and uh, uh, won as many Oscars as as it did. Like, it's just it's a rare moment where people were kind of right that they were everyone was astonished on a technical level by this <laughs> thing. And it has the actual, you know, love and passion and film chops to actually back that up, that it's not just a gimmick movie. Yeah, it's really cool too that something with like a little bit more perversion and uh, and and this kind of comedy is what set off the the whole like animated re- renaissance and everything, because nothing really. I, I mean, there's some movies from that that I absolutely adore, um, like I uh, like The Lion King stuff like that. But um, this is just referencing noir and mixing that with Looney Tunes and doing it in a very cool and authentic way is just something I don't think will really ever be able to see again. Like they've they've tried to do these these mashups since then, but they've always been they they've usually been pretty ugly for one. And the whole use of of these um, these properties from studios like these these characters, uh, these trademark characters, has just become incredibly cynical when they do it nowadays. Like one of the most recent ones I can think of is well, I was gonna the, say the Space, Space Jam, Jam too, is that yeah. what you're talking about? Just yeah. fucking <laughs> awful. Jesus, yeah. Just just horrifying. Like really nightmare fuel kind of stuff. And uh, um, just seeing something like this where it's like you can do that, but you, you can do it with like an actual respect to the genre, to the genres, um, to to the uh, the history of the films. Um, yeah. There's just so many great references to comedy, to animation, to noir. Uh, they, they, it's really obviously built by people that love it and understand it. Um, and love it so, so much that they would actually have to put the work in. The thing about yeah. doing something like this now is it's really easy to do in a computer. Like you can sure, just do these yeah. things where these guys were literally inventing a thing that no one believed could be done. And they literally invented the tech to be able to do it because they believed in it so much. And they were like, no, we're going to do these amazing analog practical effects. We are going to, you know, do hand drawn animation over top of it and 24 frames yeah. of animation for every animated thing, which is that much harder there was like Which 82 thousand movie, right? cells <laughs> like on this movie like it's so fucking just i can't even imagine the amount of work and i mean the the, the budget ballooned on this as a result it they yeah, disney wanted they to make a 30 million dollar movie yeah. and it was like a 50 or 60 million dollar movie eventually because of just Which the amount of effort insane. and work it took yeah, yeah. it's insane so, that that's how cheap it was it should have been like a 400 million dollar movie just for like well what they, look they saved on money screen. on bob hoskins okay you know this would star someone else that would require more money now um whereas you know but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and nowadays it probably would like I, I've, I think i read actually that they were talking about a sequel but then a lot of it just ended up getting canceled because it was going to be like upwards to a hundred million dollars to make it and stuff like that at least the way that they wanted to and i'm sure the stars they wanted to include and all and all that. So I don't know, but at least we have this. <laughs> so that's great. I'm glad that we yeah. have. Who I got to be honest. Roger I've Rabbit. seen the kind of shit they're making that isn't that, you know, I've seen the Space Jam 2s mm-hmm. that they make. And it's, a, I mean, Space Jam 2 is just like white zombie, but they don't realize they're making a horror movie. You know, it's just like the, <laughs> the tunes can't Awful. die. Isn't that cool and not horrifying? They, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's a, it, what a blessing that they never made a sequel to this. It would have sucked yeah, I ass. Think, I think so too. <laughs> I think it's, it's nice that we have that wrap up. The finale is a finale. It's a, it's a great film. I, I still think, I'm not sure if I'm at the five yet, but I am going to give it the old trademark Jamie four and c- come back to it later on. This is probably the, 
I don't know, maybe the third time I've I've watched it. I uh, this was weird because when I was a kid, I always heard about it, and I saw the one scene um, where the shoe gets dipped into the dip, and uh, <laughs> oh, and so that's the only thing that like really stuck with me this whole time of what what who who framed Roger Rabbit was, and I just remember thinking like for you know. Uh, knowing that it was, you know, animated, com- kind of a kids' movie, it, it, it that just always stuck with me. So when I got back around to watching it, and now over the years rewatching it and seeing all the references to noir, which I'm now more familiar with because of the show, so it's just um, it's just grown on me more and more and more. So I, I just think I probably need a another watch or something like that. But it's, I mean, it's fantastic. So highly recommend if you haven't seen it. Yeah, for you, Branson. I mean, uh, like, it's a shame we have to limit it at five. This is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, <laughs> ten. I give it ten stars. I'll give it six <laughs> so that it gets a, a, an That's average great. if we've each given it five. There you <laughs> yeah, go. There <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, very, very uh, in- incredible. Oh, yeah, one one last note. Somehow I, I forgot to speaking to all of the, the noir history. Somehow we didn't mention that Jessica Rabbit is voiced by an uncredited Kathleen Turner. Oh yeah, uh, was, she was uh, going body heat mode for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that, and I totally yeah. forgot. I don't know. How. Well, and, and I was like, yeah, and I wanted to bring that up because Lawrence Kasdan obviously has the George Lucas relationship. He directed Body Heat, and in Body Heat, he was functionally having her play Barbara Stanwyck from Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity, right? So, totally. like, basically, yeah. Jessica yeah. Rabbit was a mix of all of those actresses that we said in terms of design, and they literally found an actress who could do the Barbara Stanwyck Double Indemnity thing, and they were like, there you go. Now, there you go. That's Jessica Rabbit now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's killer. Yeah, Turner kicks ass in this like her vocal her yeah. voice work is so good so so good yeah so there you go that, that's how that, that that's how an amazing children's genre object uh was infected by the you know weirdly perverted and violent history of the genres that it that it's referencing it's just yeah. it's, it's incredible but by the way kids can handle this i i watched this when i was totally like two or three i was fine kids can handle <laughs> it it's fine if anything, yeah, like, I mean, I well, think the, 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 it's just like, pretty colors and a cartoon rabbit like slaps a dude, you know, like that's all you're paying. <laughs> yeah, there's to. no implications <laughs> of genocide or anything like that. F- funny penguins <laughs> yeah. carrying fucking, you know, uh, dishes around, you know, <laughs> but it is like I, I, I would easily show this to, to my kids. I think some the stuff with a little bit more of that, like visceral feeling, I think is kind of important to show show them every once in a while at the very least. Not everything can be who framed Roger Rabbit, but definitely introduce them to it. Hell yeah. Well, that'll wrap it up for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We are going to be right back, and we're going to be talking about Cool World. Stick around. All right, we are back and we are talking Cool World, the 1992 American half live action animation comedy, I guess still kind of a noir, uh, directed by (laughs) Ralph Bakshi, written by Mark Victor and Michael Grace and starring Brad Pitt, Kim Basinger and Gabriel or Gabriel Byrne, um, which is a really bizarre cast um and uh <laughs> yeah we'll we'll, we'll t- definitely uh, uh, 
of, of people who have all given performances I've liked. Oh yeah. Um, so, you know, and I mean, Gabriel Byrne specifically, we fucking, we, we worshiped at his altar during our discussion on Miller's crossing. Yeah, like, just what incredible. an incredible movie, what an incredible performance. And obviously Brad um, Pitt is Brad Pitt. So <laughs> pretty prolific yeah, there. To be honest, I think all three of them are good in this in theory. <laughs> you know what I mean? I love like, that, I think, that like, additional in theory thrown in there. In theory. You know? I think yeah. what they did in front of the camera is potentially very good. It's just a matter of whether we were ever let in on that. <laughs> that Yeah, there are some uh, – f- with all of them, there's some specifics that are – kind of like I see I think what they might be trying to go for but it's in another film or at least in another uh, um, or it just hasn't been presented in a way that's completely clear so even when I'm saying like I'm seeing things I'm not totally sure if I am if I'm just making them up <laughs> but I, I you know with like Basinger for instance when she eventually becomes like real and stuff she she's making some strange choices but um i suppose you know we can we can get to all that i suppose we should do a little bit of a an introduction here but well i was like yeah we should talk about bakshi bakshi yeah. is 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 the brain that this was born from this is basically like it is just quite literally bakshi's roger rabbit like part of the reason for this for this pairing is that the technical achievement of roger rabbit was so profound and like immediately clear to anyone who knew anything about animation like like bakshi did um, and and who basically alongside, um, you know, Roger Rabbit being as big as it was and I guess seeing a little bit of a revival of his career due to a Terry Toons reboot of um, My- Mighty Mouse. Is that is that what he worked on? Yeah, uh, that was I believe of, so. in, in, the, in, in the late 80s. That had a bit of a revival. So his career was kind of coming. Start. Yeah. And and but but basically he hadn't made a movie in like 10 years. He was functionally like r- r- retired. And prior to that, obviously, he's a very uh, crude uh, for some people, very offensive, uh, psychedelic kind of like adult exploitation animator. And for anyone who you know really wants the the backstory, we we did a lot of it last week. But the the short yeah. version of that was you know we we talked about uh, Fritz the Cat, which was his very intentionally, deliberately vulgar, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, very sexually and um, you know very violent X-rated cartoon that somehow like grossed more money than you know uh, the flash <laughs> for just just a comparison point just um that <laughs> i love that that was a comparison that that got me yeah and 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 we and we credited you know and and we we didn't love fritz the cat but we did talk about it as like a really important historical object in terms of you know non-studio anime independent animation and honestly kind of independent film a little bit exploitation film a, a little bit as well but Bakshi also had the sensibility to him where he was like, you know, he he kind of uh, reveled in being, uh, you know, shocking. You know, he mm-hmm. was the, the, oh, the yeah. whole point of Fritz oh, the Cat is he's he's breaking formal taboos and he's also breaking genre taboos and he's doing it very gleefully and he does it with a sense of experimentation, a little bit of imagination and his work is really cheap, um, you know, but there is something kind of charming to the crudeness of it and and you usually know, when, he is make like we we make a lot of the the point in the last episode a lot of the time when he's doing these crude things he is kind of 
putting up a mirror and trying to show a reflection of like America and some of the really disgusting imagery. Um, it's just that sometimes he also is a little too playful with it, which is what happens a lot of the time. But yeah, because I mean, like on one level, it's like, you know, he, he is trying to raise legitimate points about like white college students who might hijack a social or political issue for their own selfish yeah. desire mm-hmm. or to pursue their own sexual pleasure or something like that. The issue yeah. is that, you know, for every moment as striking and radical as the one we mentioned about like, you know, Mickey Mouse cheering on a U.S. Air Force bomber plane napalming a poor black community and or, or you know, right after including like the jive talking black crows from Dumbo being shot down in the streets by, you know, a cop who is a literal pig. And like, so like he puts imagery that is very clearly kind of progressively charged in a sense, but then he will also be like, what if I spend an entire sequence on like one of the most lazy, tired stereotypes you've ever seen, or just like 10 minutes on like a juvenile sexual fantasy that you know that he's jerking off to that. It's purely there for the sake of it. Or, you know, so I was going to say like his heart is so clearly in the right plate and i do like yeah. it. i should also say i feel like i'm gonna like slag on him a lot i like him i admire him mm-hmm. in a lot yeah of we, we, do we do too, too. Yeah. yeah we do too but he he just like it's exactly what you said it's like i have never had less doubt da- there's never other than like robert crumb himself like i've never been less like in the dark about what a dude likes to jerk off to you know, like he, he foregrounds that so hard in a way that it's like so unpleasant to know about. He's like an and, well, and, and, and it's, just, it's so funny how it rubs up against him as like a guy who clearly has like socioeconomic and political considerations on his mind. Like yeah. Wizards was the funniest one for us because like yeah. there's so much genuine like nuclear anxiety and sort of military propaganda and, you know, you know, real anxieties about fascism and the Holocaust. And it's, it's actually comes out in this like surreal Gothic apocalyptic imagery, like the rotoscoped animation in that, where he takes old war and battle movies and turns it into like this, you know, surreally expressionist sequence of, you know, these characters like, you know, really tearing each other apart, starting a literal Holocaust in like a, you know, a Tolkien Hobbit universe or something and like you're that. And these, you know, so like, these fairies and these like dwarves and these, these very almost children like fantasy creatures reacting to an actual backed green screen of footage of world war two and the Nazis rising and all of that. Like it's fucking yeah, insane, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so like he'll do something so sharp and targeted like that. And then he'll be like, but also there's a, a wizard who likes to smoke cigars and like slap a hot fairy's ass. who's wearing a thong, <laughs> you know? And he'll yeah, be like, yeah, I'm brother. not sure this is as sharp. I feel like, you know, he kind of, he got a little distracted and his pencil kind of went a little bit of a different it direction is, for is, a little bit, you know, kind of like that, it, which I, in, in a sense I kind of find charming. It's like, he's one of those dudes that he's taking his story very seriously. And then he just, he can only do it for like 30 minutes to an hour and then he trails off, but he forgets to edit out the little <laughs> sexual doodles that he was doing before he got back on track. Like that's just what it feels like a lot of the time. But yeah, he just, and he, he just leaves them in, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, well, you know what? This he, is honest. Um, this, this is going in. He could use like an editor or just some, like a guiding <laughs> hand just being like, oh, Ralph, baby, that's uh, nobody's business, but you and your wife, you know, just like, yeah, although with this one, movie. I guess it seems like, if anything, 
I, I kind of it, like it seems like he got a little bit neutered with with this apparently. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's it, this time it's it, I'm kind of saying probably the opposite of what I was saying in Fritz and and Wizards, which is that I I almost wanted to see more of his like. Um, just authentic vision, whatever that crazy shit would have been, you know. Not that there, there's a couple moments in here, obviously, that have very much the the Bakshi charm. Um, it's just that. Oh, it's a very it, charming movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of moments too where it almost fit, just knowing there's no way not to know like the production hell that this went through and like. Yeah, you can kind of see it in the edit and the movie at times. Oh, he got neutered and he just was getting screwed around by uh, Paramount so hard. I, like, I, it's impossible not to feel for him on it. But like mm-hmm. he throws a temper tantrum on screen numerous times when he just tells his animators like, yeah, just put whatever on the screen. Like the first scene with <laughs> Holly and Brad Pitt where they're interacting at her apartment I was showing it to my wife and she was just was like crying, laughing of like, why is this happening? Of just like cartoon (laughs) characters will just come up onto the screen. Like a chef with a, an ax is just chasing a muscular woman around it. No characters (laughs) even look at it or acknowledge it. Yeah. There is an, there is an interesting thing that Bakshi does sometimes where he's doing something that's, he's presenting you with something that's very dry and just like what, what they need to do for the plot to move forward. But then during that Mm -hmm. scene, he'll always cut away to, like some type of nonsense, comical, cartoonish, you know, zaniness or whatever. Um, and he kind of mixes the two together. And I think his brain is kind of going like, well, you need both. You need kind of the comedic aspect and that, that, that animated aspect of it. And then I can also move the plot forward at the same time. But just sometimes they don't, those two things don't connect all of the time. So it kind of almost seems random. Like he just wanted to throw comedy in there. Um, well, and, and, yeah. and, and what I imagine happened here, too, is because part of the story is that, you know, he came up with a, you know, a world and a character and some plots. And he he wanted this idea of, like, what if a cartoonist, because some obviously he's like, what if Bakshi, you know, created a comic book while in prison that made him an underground star in, the, you know, to the underground comics type people, the people who were reading Robert Crumb and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And. And then what if that guy had actual sex with the femme fatale doodle who in the original version was His named Debbie fantasy. Dallas for Debbie does Dallas. Cause it's literally yeah. referencing like pornography um, and, and, and not Hollywood, uh, which is actually, I will say that's actually kind of a, I, I do like the name Hollywood theoretically. Yeah, and I so do like I. the fact that it led to them building a giant Hollywood promo cutout that was like the size of the Hollywood sign. Yeah. And they spent tens of thousands of dollars putting this up and, you know, trying to really advertise it as the sexualized R rated, like come see the guy who made Fritz the cat and look at this like sexy cartoon next to the Hollywood sign. And everyone just got, this is actually a perfect metaphor for the movie. Everyone just got really annoyed and upset about it. They were like, why is that up there? I don't like looking at it. It's freaking me out. My kids are looking at it. Like, you know, it just, it, and it just, it didn't have the rapturous response, I think, that they wanted when they were like, Ralph Bakshi does Roger Rabbit. You know, the guy who is famous for all these amazing animations that, you know, people have, you know, you know, you know, a lot of them have been enjoyed by people. And, yeah. you know, then all of a sudden it was like, you know, but 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 that's just it is that 
the idea of even pitching them after the fuck the after the fact of Roger Rabbit was the problem is because Roger Rabbit, as we said, has a lot of subversive kind of adult elements to it, but it's really smartly included with the history of the actual old animation and the actual old film noirs. And there's a certain level of kind of like a, a line that they walked kind of perfectly. Mm-hmm. And Bakshi has just never been a guy who I would say delicacy and balance no. is the thing that I he's known for. No, Grace and is so not his, his strong suit. No, so so he went into this being like, actually, I want to make the full R-rated version of it. And it, it had this whole story about how, like, you know, like there was going to be this, you know, relationship between the human and the cartoon. And it was going to give birth to like this, like, you know, sort of like yeah. mixed race child that was going to come and try to hunt down the cartoonist to abandon him. There was like some father son stuff to it. And he basically said that it was going to be like a crime horror film. And he compared it more to Frank Miller's Sin City is what he said that he wanted to make. And it was supposed to be Brad Pitt and Drew Barrymore as the two characters. But the studio, as they were getting pages in and as they were entering pre-production, they were like, dude, what the fuck? You said that this could be like our Roger Rabbit. We want to make money. We want to get nominated for an Oscar. Like, what, what, the, what do you do? We like, we want a PG rating. Like, what are you talking, what are you talking about? The last animator and got a lifetime achievement award guy. or something. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah they, they were like, we want movie stars. We want fucking, you know, Brad Pitt. Who's heard of this motherfucker? Get Gabriel Byrne, yeah. you know, <laughs> Kim, Kim, Kim Bassinger. The year they were like, oh, Brad Pitt, not a sure thing. Gabriel Byrne, though, that'll put some buzz <laughs> yeah. on it. just an incredible incredible time to think about you know that they were like you know these people would kill to have brad pitt in anything now right so oh yeah Yeah. so yeah but 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 that's just it like that's what results in such a messy movie good luck finding a poster of cool world that isn't brad pitt's face taking up 80 percent of the poster and then like (laughs) some cartoons in the corner like they don't they don't want you thinking about the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, like, well, well, I mean, it, we he promise. actually, Bakshi wanted Brad Pitt so bad, despite the fact that he wasn't like a star yet, that he actually wrote the role. Like they added this character, like this character right. wasn't in his original script. And when they made him recast Gabriel Byrne, he rewrote a, a whole new character just for Brad Pitt. So he could still cast Brad Pitt. Like that's how much Bakshi was all in. So maybe we should give Bakshi some credit. He saw the star magnetism early. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe He's maybe like, Brad Pitt should help a help a dude out and get another project made or yeah, something. Yeah, Would it know? kill him to throw something Bakshi's way? I yeah. He, is, <laughs> yeah. he does have like star power in this movie. He has this sort of like bizarre alien like sexy cool to him even as he says these bizarre like it's just like it feels like when you're like a kid and you're like reading like the bible or something it's like why is everyone yelling at each other like why are you mad about this like when like brad pitt is like pushing gabriel Byrne, like get out of here asshole it's like wait no hold on you just explained the rules to him and he seems game like why are you being a dick like it's just he's just like mad because it's a a weird dark world like nobody's motivations make very much sense in this movie well that's just it the the, the two scripts did just did not merge right because like you can tell that he came up with characterizations he came up with a freaky guy who wants to fuck a cartoon 
and he was and he had a story in which that was going to actually get addressed in a dark way where like his kid comes back to try to kill him and like you know you could tell his plot was actually going to address the the weird perverted aspect of this character yeah. that he wrote that was supposed and to be then the horror, studio right? was like well no he's going to go in a plot where he's going to become superman and save the day and you can just tell that that was not like what Bakshi ever intended for that character so it's just like nonsense when you actually watch the movie like it's incomprehensible in terms of like you know the original ver- like inception of where these characters came from and the story and plot that they are actually asked to walk through like it 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 doesn't make any sense and it, it creates this weird thing that's like it's obviously too dark and weird and yeah. perverted for an actual child to get anything out of but it's also not like funny or fun or silly uh, enough to actually be fun to a child and it's kind of stupid and you know kind of has like that generic you know sort of adventure movie plot you know element where they it all yeah. has to wrap up in like a third act that has like again like by the time roger rabbit's wrapping up and it's getting deeper into its like well thought out history and conspiracy and chinatown references this is just like a guy goes to get an object for some reason that does a thing and they have to stop them from doing that and you're kind of like it it does man that's that's what all this was leading to if you've ever like babysat or had young siblings or something if you have kids it's like it is plotted the way some kids will play where they're like, Oh, and then, <laughs> and then, and then this, th-, and it's just like, it just adds on to itself without ever like yeah. calling stuff back. And like at the very end with spoiler, I get like, it turns out if you die in cool world, you become a, and you're annoyed, you become a doodle, you become a cartoon, which like, I, I don't think it's right. Explain your terminology. Either. Noids and doodles. What, what are we talking about? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so noids. Uh, audiences of 1992 would have been so there's like we're supposed to avoid the. the but a noid is a human being. A live oh. action actor. And a doodle. Now, is a see, th- this threw me off because I thought we were talking about the Domino's pizza guy. <laughs> the noid, you know what I'm talking about? Actually, mistake, yeah. too. The, it's a weird. Tra- it has nothing to do with, like, I guess, humanoid. So I get no. Never mind. He's right. Yeah. Yeah. A th- little much. It, it, yeah. It's just it is it is very strange in that sense. And I would say like the the three essentially they have like kind of three characters they really focus on, which is um, Kim Basinger as Hollywood, uh, Brad Pitt as Frank, and um, G- uh, Gabriel uh, Byrne as Jack. And it, every time they go to each different section. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, like sometimes, you know, Hollywood and Brad are, are interacting and that is a lot of it, but there's times where they're focused on the, the individuals and it all feels very disconnected when it is going back and forth between those things. Um, and then when you finally get them together there, it, it just seems it, it, like a kind of like a mess. And I, it, it's hard to really, uh, understand people's like, motivations in certain ways like there's the simple motivation that is presented like with jack he's very into holly um with with brad pitt's character he's like a enforcer of he's very he's against a, interracial relationships yeah which that's the weird subtext <laughs> that i was talking it's about in the intro that yeah. they don't really seem to like tackle very much and i don't think like ralph is thinking you know it's 
because by the end of this film, they, they kind of do say like they shouldn't mix. That seems to almost be the 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 end of it in some strange way. Because there's a lot of yeah, chaos they were like they, they were they were like they were like Brad Pitt should become a tune so that it's like it's so a they normal can be relationship. Together. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm just like <laughs> I understand that. I don't think mix. it says if they do mix, the world will end. Yes. Well, yeah, we'll yeah. explode. So, it's yeah, it, it, which is the, that's it because you imagine that Bakshi he thought that through in his original idea when he was like, it's going to create a half tune, half human baby, and it's going to be you know, and you could you could imagine him trying to address this in a kind of playful or a you know a politically <laughs> oriented way, but to f- turn that into like a generic kind of happy ending moment, it just yeah, he like it just it doesn't work. It, it, something gets lost in translation between the two things. Yeah, and that's well, the thing is that you don't. Like, I never think. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. There's like there's a thing you could say there pretty artfully of like, well, a tune isn't real life. And so to lust after like something that doesn't come from the same spring of life that we do like that is Mm -hmm. against nature. You know, like there's an argument that could be made there artistically, interestingly, or even like playfully of like, yeah, it just doesn't work. But what this movie does is it sort of accidentally almost it, it grafts on like race stuff onto the tunes and then makes an argument that I don't think Ralph Bakshi believes. I, and yeah, if he I does, he's a monster, you know? <laughs> no, he definitely doesn't. That's the thing. I was watching it and I'm, and as you're watching it, I'm, you're just thinking like, you see that it's very clear that that can easily be read as the subtext, but I know, you know, with Bakshi and what he's, normally saying about things and and quite frankly even the way that that metaphor threads through the narrative it it really doesn't work on a like on a full scale or it's not very fleshed out but it's just obviously there so you can't really you can't really ignore it even though it's what yeah. you think is not heavily implied by any means. It's just there. No, it, 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 it's just an accidental result of Bakshi's actual kind of like dark sensibility and a, you know, like the, the Hollywood writers having to write a script with his characters. Yeah. You know, like those two things just interact in bizarre ways throughout the basically the 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 entire film. And is this some of the most live action that Bakshi has ever shot? Because I know that we've talked about his, you know, so. like the guy's not unfamiliar with live action. Like he did this amazing rotoscoping across so many of his animated Lord films. And even in Fritz the Cat, we talked about his use of like documentary style sound for realism and animation in the way I, that he would take like documentary photographs and actually use them as, you know, like a reference for the art that he would did like he was very interested in realism the guy was interested in sort of like street level documentation but like Mm -hmm. the opening prologue of this i i didn't realize going into this how much of this would actually take place in in the real world and how much of it would be like oh yeah that's just brad pitt as a world war ii veteran you know turn detective who in the opening scene is seen like getting into a motorcycle motorcycle accident with his mom after returning back from the war which is kind of a funny origin story um so funny to be like remember roger rabbit how it opens with a delightful cartoon that like welcomes you into the world here a veteran is going to kill his mom on a motorcycle accident. Yeah, and, and they actually do try to make it like a sad, harrowing thing where like, the you know, he car he gets into a car crash with some like some drunk celebrators. And, you know, he does this like huge cartoon dive like off the bike and he starts hearing sounds of the war due to PTSD, like more yeah. shells. Which is never brought up cough. again. 
by the way. No, I, and he's calling a medic for his mom and everything like that. And then just for no reason, he sucked into Bakshi world because a cartoon scientist was like trying to bridge the two worlds and accidentally teleported him in at the exact moment. And I think they were trying to do something with like, you know, he escaped into a fantasy world because he couldn't handle the tragedy and loneliness of like real life or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, but again, they don't follow through on that in the end. He just becomes a cartoon and ignores that whole thing. It's, it's not like the they movie was teaching him it. that he had to go back to cope with the real world or something like that. It's not the same as like when Hoskins actually does have to learn to open up his heart to tunes, even after they have, you know, sort of like hurt him in a way. And speaking of, you know, breaking the barriers of the two worlds, lovingly uh again that ends with hoskins kissing a cartoon and as as like as like a gag and you know and affection at the same time and with this it's just you know the 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 actual breaking of the two worlds and the transgressiveness of it is just kind of i don't know it feels kind of weirdly pointless and random yeah yeah i i totally agree and even like the um when you get into the cool world and it's supposed to be all animated like you don't really get. Can that. we talk about so, that? It's called Cool World too, by the way. You know, but Jamie, of, you can keep going. I just wanted to bring that up because we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to say this over and over and over again, and it's just, it's not that, it's not that cool. It feels know? like it's they wanted cool. to say Toon World, but that was probably trademarked or something. So they were yeah, like, "Yeah, cool that's world. actually that's true. Kind of sounds that's like definitely tune. why they call it Doodles too. <laughs> yeah, like they were probably. like, "Yeah, we can't." Call, they already called it cartoons and tunes it and feels Roger Rabbit. Very yeah. Like they showed it to a, a, a test audience, just full of people who like don't know how to close their mouths and we're like i'm confused where is this world is it cool <laughs> no you like, don't understand I, it's cool <laughs> is it no it seems lame <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah and like when they go it's into kind of some cool weird world, guys perversions you know it's not that cool yeah yeah and like well yeah especially the way that uh, uh holly is designed um it's it's wild but with um the actual cool world itself and like the sets they're they're and there's there may be a couple moments where they do like the full animated thing with with the humans, but it doesn't look nearly as good as like when Hoskins finally goes to Toon Toontown in uh, Roger Rabbit. And what they do in Cool World is instead of having like objects be animated and stuff, they're almost like cardboard cutouts that make it look as if he's kind of in this 3d cartoon world i think that's what they're going yeah. for but instead it yeah they're almost trying to go for some like expressionist set building yes. where it just kind of like looks sort of surreal and he kind Which, of to be honest through it yeah i loved i loved that i don't think it yeah. works but i don't care i loved that so i thought that was so cool to look it's definitely like, the for, most effort that they put in because for the rest of it like they are not doing the same level of like you know motion control or environments or lighting or props like again like spielberg and lucas and zemeckis maybe not a fair comparison back she's working on a different budget level he's a different kind of filmmaker you know he's not at the forefront sure, of inventing sure. technology to make a you know a big budget movie you know he's he has to he has to rely on something a little bit more crude but even at this level i did expect a little bit more effort from bakshi like there are no shadows on pit when a cartoon character walks by him yeah um you know there's when they interact all yeah like when they interact it's like you can actually see brad pitt like clipping through the cartoon animation sometime which is just something that you just don't have to do you could just animate that so that doesn't happen and i don't it's just it's bizarre you can also tell that brad at certain points doesn't know how 
how much to give off of a physical performance when he's interacting physically with the cartoons. Like there's multiple moments where he's um, physically interacting with Holly and he's either like putting his arm around her and he's massaging her or he's um, or pushing her even stuff like that. And most of the time, whatever kind of physical force that he gives off, it doesn't quite match the energy that the cartoon Holly yeah. gives. So it just creates this kind of uncanny valley a lot of the time. Um, no, he, he, he just kind of lets Brad Pitt like hang there. I feel bad for Brad Pitt watching it because I, you're just yeah. like, you feel like, like, like he's b- awkward on set. Like, and he, he, he himself, Brad can feel it as he's delivering certain yeah. lines. Like he's yeah, like, he's, 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 he's clearly hitting cues and they're kind of telling him what the story is and that he, you know, and they're trying to point him a little bit in the right direction, but I don't know. It's just, it is so kind of cheaply and lazily done that it, 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 it neuters the fact that it doesn't actually feel interactive or funny, which is like the key to the movie is that he's interacting with, with these real things. I, Ebert and his review making the Roger rabbit comparison. Cause I think he said that even in his review, he said he went to a screening where they literally introduced it as like, if you loved Roger rabbit, like you're going to love cool world. Okay. And, yeah. uh, if you love and, Roger and, rabbit uh, and you're stupid. You'll love cool. World. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so Roger Ebert like literally like quoted that guy in his review and was like, yeah, unfortunately not. Um, I, you know, he was like a, a human character in cool world world will throw an arm around the shoulders of a cartoon and the mismatch will be so distracting it's the only thing that you can look at on the screen yeah <laughs> that was what he said and i i definitely felt like very similarly and it clearly actually kind of did too just telling people like yeah just animate random shit without a script just go f- fun do my this favorite or whatever. Like, is clearly sketchy gorilla head wearing like a vr helmet that flies by at one point and it just looks like <laughs> Doodles there's from some a weird detail to this oh that's something love- too like the, the there and there's certain ones that kind of work but they'll they'll be having scenes where it's clear that it was just brad pitt and the uh, depending on who he's talking to or which version he's talking to either kim basinger or holly um they're talking and randomly as they're talking it seems like uh bakshi was just kind of like throw in a couple random cartoon characters that just kind of circle them they don't do anything they don't say anything they don't look at them or interact with them but they're just kind of there as like this isn't this world alive like that kind of thing there's just a (laughs) there's just one too many things that feel like afterthoughts i feel like and not it does a, create this whole sense that the world is weightless, you know, and like none of it yeah. really matters. And so you start yeah. tuning out, which is a bummer because it's not like the story is that compelling, but like sure. it's and to take nothing from Bob Hoskins, he does a great job. He does an incredible job in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but he is supported by the movie. You know, when yeah, his totally. eyeline is off, they move the rabbit. So mm-hmm. that he's looking at him when Brad mm-hmm. Pitt's eyeline is off. The movie is like, yeah, you're shit out of luck, dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he's just yeah, like, that is true. Yeah, you, you, you do like- feel bad for Brad Pitt, like watching this because he you, he really is just left to sit there and and because yeah Hoskins was committed and he was doing that shit. he was doing stunts with cartoons like he was doing some pretty crazy oh, yeah. shit but again we said that he was like the world's greatest straight man to the ridiculousness of everything that was around him kind of grounding it and that was the relationship but Brad Pitt is just like left to deliver flat dialogue scenes like all the ones he gets with Lynette the uh, sexy doodle girl he likes but right. you know contains himself to only having a platonic relationship because that's the rules of cool world uh, which isn't very cool of cool world i will say um, <laughs> yeah 
and and but and, and he just he's just not immersed in it at all he's blankly hitting cues he's you know he and this and is like one of the most not, lifeless performances that i've seen from him i mean he tries yeah, here and, and there where he's got kind of this pseudo noir accent that he tries to do and it's interesting to watch brad pitt do that but for the most part he is He's pretty dull in this, unfortunately. Well, and, yeah. and he just has no energy or momentum to push him yeah. by the filmmaking either. Yeah. You know, like you would feel like on some well, level, like, like the excited glee of Zemeckis really took over so much of that film. Bakshi does feel like and you can tell, you know, he was probably frustrated by the time he was sh- shooting this stuff. being mm-hmm. Like this isn't what I wanted to shoot. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. So, yeah. I'm, I, you know, I'm going to I'm going to half ass a little bit. And unfortunately, it's just you can you can you can yeah. feel that. Yeah, I gotta say, I do not blame Bakshi for getting frustrated. Like, this seems like this must have been a very painful process for him. Like, the yeah. fair's fair, but come on. Like, like, you know, put on your game face for the yeah. actors just a little bit. It's a, it's a... I mean, it's like, what is Brad Pitt supposed to do with lines? Like, where at one point he's explaining, he's like, I'm a cop. I enforce the rules of Cool World. There's only one rule of Cool World. Don't have sex with a tune. <laughs> I've never had to enforce that law. Uh, a doodle. So what's your job? A, a doodle. doodle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's but like you've been here for 50 what's years. Trademark tune. Yeah. Come on, man. Oh, sorry, God. sorry. But it's true. So like, what's your job? What do you do on a day-to-day basis? You just walk around and hope that you don't see any two two beings having sex. Like, I, I just like, that's the only, it, it does feel like he that has doesn't very, seem like the only problems that cool world has. Like that yeah. bunny got fucking abused, man, you know? And well, because there's yeah, other <laughs> cops, like, cause then the bunny can go to those keystone cops whose job is to like die. I to like get into a car chase and die. Like, <laughs> that's fine. I guess that sort of makes its own amount of sense, but it's like these little things with like Holly saying, it's like, I've always wanted to do it with an, uh, annoyed, because mm-hmm. when doodles do it together, it doesn't feel like anything. It's like, Jesus, that's hell. That sounds awful. I can't blame yeah. you for wanting to fuck annoyed now. And then yeah, the script cool like holds her shitty. in disdain. Yeah, it's like she's a villain for wanting to have sex. It's like, what? That's yeah, not fair. Well, that's I want to have sex. Like, a- the way it starts, like she's kind of more... Um, I guess built to be like sympathetic and empathetic in a sense where it's like you could understand wanting to feel those feelings and, and, and yeah, she's like, I want to touch something real, you know, I want to really taste something, you know, yeah, I really, then, I want to yeah. have this experience that like maybe Gabriel Byrne as Jack Debs can give to me. Cause he's a horny cartoonist who, you know, in prison for murdering, uh, the man, his ex-wife was having an affair with, I think it is, it is suggested. Yeah. I think um, so. and is, I th- and, and it, it suggested, I guess, that he's been drawing Cool World, um, you know, and it's he's invented it while in he's prison. been in prison. But it's also suggested that like Hollywood has been like giving him visions in prison um, so that yeah. he, he's just drawing what she's been giving him so that she can seduce him in. And he's just been putting the, pa- the you know, the, the visions on paper, which then everyone has been kind of like buying it into. And I, I do kind of like the idea. And I think Bakshi maybe could have used it in the version he wanted to of, you know, that, you know, the cartoonist isn't actually this amazing creator. He's someone just like cursed with imagery that is literally like yeah. attacking <laughs> him or trying to pull him into. Like that feels like something that, again, Bakshi would have actually made a character thing. You can tell that he was invested in the Jack Deeb's character, but Gabriel Byrne is really like Brad Pitt is the 
you know, the actual central figure until the third act of this movie. Um, Jack Deebs feels like kind of like a, he shows up at one point because, you know, he's a tool for Holly who yeah. wants to have sex yeah. and, you know, wants to break the, the, the rules or it, but, but he shouldn't break the rules because, you know, Brad Pitt, what's that? What's that other line he gets to keep your pencil in your pocket or I'll slap you around and make you piss like a puppy. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's just strange too, because like, like with, uh, with Holly's character, she's at first, you know, kind of sympathetic. And then at the end, she's just looked at as the complete villain of the whole thing that's brought like chaos to everything because she wanted to, you know, try being with annoyed. Um, so it, it feels just a little strange in that, in that sense. And I, I yeah. never really knew exactly Strangely what he was trying to say. Strangely yes. for Ralph Bakshi. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, come on, Bakshi. It's a negative movie. It is strangely <laughs> enough. Yeah, it's very it is probably his most like sex negative film, um, whether he meant to do that or not. Uh, it just seems completely yeah. unfocused with its narrative. And I don't <clears throat> excuse me, entirely know what he was going for by the end of it. It really feels like it doesn't mean a lot or much of anything um, by it's the also, end of this film. And I feel there's ideas I leading up to Bakshi, it, but then it's nothing. I definitely feel for Bakshi because he's hobbled a little by. Who framed Roger Rabbit? It's like it almost feels bad to root for because it's like, oh, you don't want to root for the rich kids across the lake, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Zemeckis got everything he asked for. He got this huge budget, huge release, critically acclaimed. Like, and they were able to use Mickey Mouse in the movie. Like, come on! Like, the, <laughs> yeah, of course, the movie was a hit. Yeah, and Bugs, but like, of course, of course, it was good. And then Bakshi, who has to come up with all of these brand new characters to sort of like compete in this sort of Toontown like space is like Ollie is a, a somewhat compelling character in this sort of like femme yeah. fatale, just the rabbit mo- model. And what's the it nails. The I do like when Charlie. she's introduced doing like this hellish trance, like dance in front of what is like 100 Tex Avery looking howling wolves. He definitely just yeah. stole that uh, thing. Cause it's so funny how all of them are all just like hooting and like staring at her and, and you know, and you know, entranced by her, her obvious uh, sexual magnetism. Cause you know, there's well, like a Lee is a movie era. about a guy who who really wants to actually fuck Jessica Rabbit, and you're just you will be su- surprised at how formally not unhinged the movie is, uh, considering that that's what it kind of is, is about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. It's like I almost want to just go back in time and tell Paramount. It's like, hey, your movie's going to be a huge bomb regardless. Can you just let this guy go nuts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and just if anything, like get it'll off his back. Do a little better. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be more interesting at least because it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you, you know, he's, she's got like you've got Holly and she, yeah, she's introduced dancing to this like Thompson twins like play with me like industrial mm-hmm. song. Like it's like very unappealing and sort of intimidating. But then all of the like her. What do they call them? Like the the hoodlums, like the the goons, like her gang, yeah, her, her, her little guys that are like sort of uh, slash. Who's like a little like purple, like monkey, like dude who wears a baby diaper, has a giant head, has Freddy claws for some reason. He's just, yeah, they're just like a, like a collection. It's just like back. She just put like intimidating details. He just like put it into a blender and divided it up into like four characters. It's mm-hmm. like one of them's like tough. It's just like, <laughs> there's not enough. They, you don't really get to like spend enough time caring about the doodles 
uh, sorry, I don't want to eat shit again. The doodles, like, you don't like. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You don't Fucking see them being funny or charming or like. You don't care about them ever. You care about them so little that I called them tunes like a fucking ace. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, there's so little personality. Well, because they're such an afterthought. They're so clearly just like, you know, animate. Like some of them are, are you know, fun and unconventional and charming to look at because yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, they let an animator just like make some random fun. But ultimately, you know, it doesn't have that control. It doesn't have that sense of like, you know, that that passion for we're really going to construct this thing to the most expert degree we can. It's just it does feel sort of random and kind of mismatched and you know like because again some of the pure animated stuff in this movie it's not like bad like i think the like the cop the cop car chase the weird like colorful sci-fi dystopia backdrop some of them look really cool that that ridiculous sex on wheels song while they're doing one of the chases is 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 pretty hilarious uh the one character in this who actually does stand out to me because it actually felt like it might have even been like a toontown character is the uh the little rotary telephone who gets super stressed every time he starts ringing and actually has to do his job and actually like you know (laughs) go and you know give brad pitt the phone like that's a that's a that you know like they clearly wrote a little tiny cute character who would have an inner life of being like oh my god i'm ringing oh my god i got you know? duty calls like, yeah you know like that's that's funny and there, it just it's crazy how little of that there is and when it is there yeah. it does feel like it's just you know kind of like a, a random you know mismatch thing the sequence of the movie that i realized what was going wrong is actually the sex scene itself because mm-hmm. this is the scene that you imagine in Bakshi's movie would be like incredible and yeah. it would be explicit and it would be Especially ridiculous. Especially finally having the scene where it is literally a human being fucking a cartoon. Like this is his dream. Yeah. This is it. He, would go, he would go all out and it would be transgressive. It would be this transformative experience. Like if he was doing it in his Fritz the Cat era, oh, yeah. like this would be the craziest thing anyone has ever put on screen. And what do they do in this? It's just you know, slow, like slightly implied in some cutoff shots that the Kim Bassinger cartoon is having sex with great Gabriel Byrne and they're breaking all the laws. Cause again, even to have the visceral impact of them breaking the laws is kind of essential to the story that they're telling. So it's crazy that they don't actually do any of this. And then they cross cut to this gag of all these characters. You don't care or know anything about like just trying to do like the slapstick bit where they're trying to like watch. So like Holly promised we could watch. So they're like, you know, building up all of these, you know, objects so that they can climb up and get a view in the window. And I was sitting there going, man, that is where you can tell that, you know, the studio writers went, what if the cute cartoon characters were doing a slapstick gag where they, you know, it was all about, could they watch the sex scene? And it wasn't actually about the insanely transgressive, transformative sex scene that like defines the entire movie is written about, you know, (laughs) like this is the moment and it's, and it's the Bakshi moment. So it's just wild that they undercut it with that kind of stuff. That was kind of one of the examples I was talking about earlier where things just feel kind of like an afterthought or disconnected in that way. And they're, they're just, they're just kind of taking away from the scene that you should be focused on. Um, yeah, this should be hornier. It should yes, be crazier. Absolutely. You know, this is Bakshi baby. And what also, are you guys doing? There's also some like, um, some dialogue every once in a while that I kind of enjoy, but then again, there's something that I- immediately precedes it. That kind of just cuts it away. Like there's a line that I think Holly says, 
um, where she's like, I'm made of ink, but I'm no dream. And I'm just like, that's kind of cool. And then the moment after that, she says something like, welcome to the longest dream that you'll ever have or something. I'm like, but you just said it wasn't a dream and that doesn't have any connection or like, it's, it's not a play on words. It's just like a legitimately (laughs) contradicting line. (laughs) So I just, I I don't know. There's certain things in here that are almost smooth and then not. And then it's, it's very strange. The movie we're watching is like the 40th draft of, you know, <laughs> yeah. just like a million like studio notes that were just like, hey, can yeah. we clear this up? Remember, I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Can you can you just put like 10 lines like that and just make yeah. all say it doesn't matter if it relates to anything. Right, right, exactly. It just needs to be mysterious and it doesn't matter if it literally contradicts the line said immediately before it. That kind of thing. Yeah, there's. Uh, I, I I do like the. Uh, I I drew you. I made you. I can erase you. Uh, you wouldn't erase me, baby. <laughs> you know you're too hungry for what I got. You know, bam, bam. Yeah. And her just all of the again part of the the, the backshe that you're just gonna have to accept every time you watch one of his movies is that he's gonna have extended shots of just like a cartoon character like stroking their you know their leg mm-hmm. or you know yeah. making a sensual movement of of some kind. Like he's so much more openly. Uh, and that's how Holly you moves know, just constantly. I mean, she's never pouring not, his fetishes on the screen just all yeah. the time. <laughs> like she's never like the character of Holly is never not you know talking in this kind of soothing sexual way or you know moving her hips around even if she's doing normal walking. It, it, there's just there's never a moment where she's not um, like sexualized essentially, uh, and it's just kind of built into her character, which that which kind of leads me, I guess, into something that we were talking about earlier and we didn't get into detail of, which is when she transforms and Kim Basinger now has to do the Hollywood yeah. performance. And there's these it's weird because I'm kind of mixed in it. Like, I think it's not very good, but I think what she's trying to do is still sense. still yeah she's still yeah. trying to give off that yeah. animated kind of sexy slithering kind of uh, 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 character that that Hollywood would be easy it's it's easy to do when she's an animated character and I think she's trying to emulate that but it just comes off as a little bit strange and a little bit awkward sometimes um and yeah a little but, bit and, and it's like we kind of like know uncanny. that kim basinger can do it i mean yeah, she oh, would she, win yeah. her oscar totally. for la confidential right. playing a femme yeah. fatale character right exactly. and you know she was just in burton's batman where we know that she can act in like kind of like a heightened animated world like that and it's just it's so bizarre that the actual crossfade transition itself from the drawing to kim basinger is actually sort of interesting like yeah. I, I think that that's actually yeah. kind of well done but her performance as a, a as the cartoon in human form is just I don't know how to describe it. Mm-hmm. There's just there's because it well, make it totally weird. makes logical sense that she's trying to be silly and animated yes. still, even though she's in human form, and it being inconsistent and feeling off is probably the point. But it yes. feels further than that to me. <laughs> right, like I she's going a little silly baby with it in a way that just is like yeah. not easy to watch. And yeah, I actually just was like kind of like uncomfortable watching her act with other live action performances. And part of this too, from what I understand is Kim Basinger was actually partially taking over production by the sounds of it, that she actually wanted to do some of the rewrites for her character and was trying to make it more of like a kid's movie. And <laughs> yeah, which so, be done no. with this. Yeah, so that is absurd when I read that. Yeah, so like that could be also it is that she's maybe leaning a little bit too much into the movie she wants it to be versus you what you think it was almost like know, she was everyone going else for is, a silliness. 
that no one else was. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Totally. I was going to say, so I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Yeah. She was clearly rotoscoping Holly when Holly was animated. Like Holly move no character in this movie moves like Holly does. You know, she True. is absolutely no. obviously rotoscoped. And I think it's cool. I think it sort of like works really well and it sets her apart from a lot of the other doodles. Uh, mm-hmm. because she's like, she feels more adult. She feels more human. She feels like she, I, uh, you can sort of understand why she would long to leave this world and go with people who are more like her. But then when the switch happens, it is this bizarre, cause you're right. It's not even like she's giving the same rotoscope performance. She's just playing a new character all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah that that's a good way to, yeah, that's a good way to put it. There is a little bit of a disconnect between, the cartoon Holly and Kim Basinger's Holly in the sense that it's like she didn't quite capture the same essence, I guess. I don't know. It's it's it is it is weird when she makes that transition. It's a noticeable. Yeah, so what change. we're saying, three guys on a podcast are saying that a real woman is not as good as a cartoon. Ultimately, <laughs> is what I want everyone to take away from. That's this. right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Sorry, I've essays. said it before. Kim Basinger, do again. better. Look more like Hollywood. You know, come on. <laughs> yeah. It's although just, although I, I, mean, I will say some of the more really amusing the parts are Kim Basinger in the ridiculously sexualized outfits in the real world. And with with Gabriel Byrne, like introducing her to like her neighbors and you just have Kim Basinger being like, I'm real. Yeah. I you know, in do. like the ridiculous outfit, like there's some stuff that kind of works about it. Like, oh, totally. again, conceptually, this works, you know, totally. I, yeah, I don't want to just say like we're like shitting on on Basinger here. I think it's mostly in the first like the initial transformation. And then when she gets into the real world and she's interacting with more people, like I didn't think the um, like the stage performance that she does uh, to kind of like show off her skills in the real world, I think is pulled off decently well. And I did find it funny that she keeps turning into like a clown version of herself because, you know, they they can't quite be in the real world. It's like unnatural for them or something. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, it's not it's not to say it's all a loss. I just think that that first initial thing is kind of strange. I can definitely see from her performance the movie she was imagining yeah. in her head, you know, that she was trying to take yeah. over. And I don't I don't like it that much, but I can I get it. You know, I think it's like a right. completely like it has the right to exist. Like it I, I can see what that would be and everything that's going. I do think it's like it's just not in conversation with the rest of like, maybe there's something to say there of like, Oh, she's too realistic when she's a doodle and she's too cartoony when she's annoyed. But the movie never really rises to that. You know, it never really rises. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't, it's like we were saying with Brad, it's like, you can't even blame both these stars in a sense because it seems like everybody on set was just doing their own thing (laughs) in a way. It's like they had, they were like, we'll we'll fix it all in the animation process. Don't worry. It'll all make sense. Yeah. it, It does feel like that. Like they all, they all had their own vision of what this was supposed to be. And then in post they tried their absolute best to, to, to put it together. Um, in, uh, so. in A.S. Homer's review of Joker, he describes Joaquin Phoenix as an undirected actor. And that's all I could think <laughs> watching this was just like nobody was told what to do. <laughs> yeah. Any there are like uh, Charlie Adler does the voice of the spider who's like uh, 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 Brad Pitt's like sidekick, like the like right. sort of the yeah, baby Herman sort of. Oh yeah, nails. He uh, and like I think he's good. He did all the voices on Cow and Chicken. Like that guy's a good voice actor, and you can tell mm-hmm. watching this, it's like nobody directed him what to do. He just has a funny voice he's doing, but it was never. 
he's not, he hasn't been told like, this is how this connects to the story. You know, this is how this fits. Yeah. Here. And his and so energy is not, point. and his energy is not even close to like what he's probably supposed to be bouncing off of with Brad. So it, he does feel oh, I like, wouldn't be surprised if they've never met. Yeah. 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 Like he had <laughs> no idea what kind of uh, character that he, he was supposed to be. Yeah. Ber- versus some Zemeckis having all of the animated voice actors actually hitting their lines on set which I don't remember if we brought that up or not, but like Charles Fleischer as Roger Rabbit was doing all those voices with Bob Hoskins, right. like actually in the room with him and, you know, delivering lines back and forth. There's actually even behind the scenes where you can see Charles Fleischer, like in a little bunny ears and shit like that, <laughs> nice. where they were using him as like reference. And yes, yeah, so you can get so genuine like, reactions. Yeah. Cause, cause he was like, I want you to hear the ridiculousness of, you know, what this character is actually saying to you, because that's how you get a reaction out of an actual actor. So that, right. you know, you act. So, so then when you draw it later, it's like, Oh my God, Bob Hoskins is looking at something insane, mm-hmm. you know? And you just, you don't like get a, that from any of the live action performances in this. Yeah. No, this movie is almost like a cautionary tale for when we talk about stuff that's been lost in film, you know, when people are like, well, movies aren't horny anymore. And it's like, well, but hold on. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't you're surely you're not asking for cool world or when they're like well nobody <laughs> does like bone. practical effects anymore yeah monkey but like nobody does practical effects anymore it's like well hold on because in cool world they do it sort of aimlessly like and it doesn't actually look that good like it's no a, you it's would like not believe I, I can't i didn't yeah. get a chance to bring this up yet cool world do you guys know who shot cool world uh, don't this will right blow now. your minds if you don't know who shot Cone. Cool I'm about World. to. It was John Alonzo oh, yeah. who shot <laughs> Chinatown. And Scarface <laughs> and Harold and Maude. What the fuck, dude? And, 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 and Scarface and Vanishing Point. Yeah, like like the, 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 like the perfect twist of fate to all of this is I think this might be one of the worst looking movies that John Alonzo ever shot. And for Roger Rabbit to be such an affectionate, loving recreation of like a cartoon Chinatown and to have the actual guy who shot Chinatown shoot Cool <laughs> World and it just like kind of looked like it was vomited onto the screen which is not to say there isn't out like some of the animation is cool yeah some of the you know funky little you know live action sort of cartoon looking sets that they did for some of the shots are you know like you know there was some effort put in there yeah but it's just uh, how it's all been blended and how the overall look of the movie is is just it's it's uh it's not very good. Um, it feels yeah. like a movie that was like like all the sets were built inside of like uh, a, a space where kids go to play laser tag or something. Totally. It has that chinsiness to Dude, it. Yeah. That's spot yeah. on. That is spot on. Because when I was I was honestly thinking that uh, in, in a in a sense when it's the first scene with Brad and. Uh, Kim or when she's a cartoon though and it's got that it's got like these cardboard cutouts of couches and things like that but yeah it's it's even got this kind of dark purple lighting to it a little bit which is very yeah. reminiscent of like a laser tag thing for sure <laughs> That's yeah funny. And, and and the third act of this movie is just like like I was actually kind of blown away that, you know, cause there's some stuff they set up that kind of makes sense. Like the whole deal with Brad Pitt having to be like, Oh my God, the two, the human in the cartoon fucked. And now they're both kind of like half human, half cartoon and, you know, rampaging into the human world and like breaking the delicate balance that the two worlds have that I meant to keep them apart. That's what I'm policing. And, you know, and, and he's trying to also explain to, you know, L- Lynette or whatever that, you know, he doesn't actually want to go back. Like he may be human, but you know, it hurts over there. It's lonely over there. There's war over there, which is again, a thing. It just never really, 
actually follows through on. But you can imagine a version where Bakshi actually leaned into that that darkness I of like Brad Pitt escaped to the Toon World because you know he didn't want to he, he couldn't cope with this with this real life thing. But I was just blown away that the rest of the movie is genuinely generic PG movie kids movie tidy up where it's like Holly is hunting for a spike at the casino, which might accidentally, you know, like blow up the two universes and like complete her transformation to human or like unleash all the cartoons into the human world. And it's just Gabriel Byrne and Brad Pitt have to team up to stop her from doing that. They even throw in like a kids movie teen girl next door character who's there to like tag along with the with the hijinks. She's like, I have a car. I can drive you guys to the <laughs> casino. And I, and I was like, what what is this writing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's strange that like who framed Roger Rabbit is essentially saying that we should respect the craft and the art of animation and these characters and, 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 and all of that. And with this, it seems to accidentally, in my opinion, but it still says it where it's like, fuck animated characters. They're evil. They bring chaos. They can't yeah. coexist with human Segregate beings. Segregate those motherfuckers. Yeah, you like know? burn them down. <laughs> like yeah, they're basically like on board with the, uh, the bad guy and, uh, um, who framed Roger Rabbit. They're almost like, yeah, yeah cool world should be genocided. Yeah, like, it's which just wild. If, if maybe if that was the point he wanted to make and he leaned into it in a horror style, yeah, maybe that sure. could have been interesting. Sure. But again, it all, it all just feels like happenstance that yes. he arrived at these scenarios, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's uh, I was going to say earlier, I did. It, it is funny to imagine. I laughed watching it that like they do set up by like Brad Pitt has PTSD from the war. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to Cool World and he spends 50 years in Cool World. And I guess he just gets over his PTSD because yes, he just had 50 years to like go to therapy. I was so I was kind of mad because I'm like, you you obviously set that up in the introduction. So I'm like, that seems like a pretty core part of his character. And then it's I really don't think it's ever brought up or even mentioned, is it? Like it might I think hey, d- d- j- like, d- d- just that line where he says there's war over there before he goes back. Okay, like, that's yeah, like, it. That's but it's it. like, like it's fucking insane. You live in Cool World. People are cutting their heads off, and like the cops are being called over dice games. Like it's <laughs> they have war over here too. Yeah, like it seems the same. So I just don't understand why he wouldn't yeah. be going through the same kind of mental torment. It, it, and that was one of the more interesting aspects of his character. So it was so weird to just like be like, yeah, well we'll never mention that again. Um, and we'll just deal with his, uh, conundrum of wanting to fuck a cartoon, but not being able to because of his quote unquote morals, I guess. Um, yeah, well, because it, it felt like they were at one point going to be like, again, he escapes into this animated world of things that aren't real and he needs to learn to grow up and go back and cope with real life or something like that. And the same thing with the creator who fucks the cartoon. Like maybe he has to disassociate himself from the crazy visions that are haunting his brain or whatever. And it's just, again, it feels like it sets up arcs. You could imagine Bakshi kind of digging himself into in Mm -hmm. complicated ways. And it's like the ending is Pitt chases Kim Bassinger up a staircase they hang out in a hotel. He falls off a balcony and dies. And then the scientist cartoon just goes, actually, Brad Pitt was never the main character. It was Jack the whole time, who's now a superhero that behaves nothing like how his character behaved before he was a toon. Yeah, that or, was Oh, weird. my God. A doodle. I just caught myself doing it. <laughs> oh, um, you're out of here. 
You're out of here. <laughs> Welcome to the club. And 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 it, it just this whole third act is just like it's just again it's just it feels like a, a collection of studio notes. Yeah, because like, I I found that weird too that Gabriel turns into like this this cliched kind of superhero with the like uh, huzzah voice like that kind of thing. Um, and mm. I did kind of find him funny in a way because he like does this like he bounces around and and he's it's kind of a a funny depiction of a giant muscular superhero, but it has, like you said, no connection to the cartoonist or anything that we've seen before. His voice completely changes and there's nothing like, I don't think it's Gabriel doing it. Um, it's, it doesn't it's, sound I, like. I imagine it's supposed to be, but it doesn't sound like it. And also that scientist, yeah, that know. part where he's just like, you know, he's becoming the hero. He was always destined to be. And part of me went, what was that? Was that yeah. in this movie? Was that? <laughs> yeah, that seemed like, a, like that seemed like it a comes from a different movie. Yeah, that seemed like yeah. a studio wrap up too, where they're like, "Well, we need the like we need a designated obvious hero, so we'll just literally have a line that's like and make he it the horny the cartoonist <laughs> yeah. who the movie was clearly written to be critical of at a certain point because it was supposed to be a movie about his half cartoon son coming back to kill him for abandoning <laughs> him. You know, like yeah. it's just and instead they were just like, "What if we just made like a really bad Gremlin sequel?" <laughs> where like just all the creatures uh, got out into the real world. They're maniacally laughing. They're causing chaos and doing antics. And, you know, there's a couple, you know, attempts at gags that you could see being kind of like funnier if the comedic timing was there, like the casino blackjack table when all the humans start turning into doodles and yeah, like the guy's yeah. like, hit me. And the, and the guy just punches him in the face. You know, yeah, you could imagine if gag, it was like yeah. Popeye doing it or something that could have been funny or they recreate the dogs playing poker because the casino, all the guys playing poker at the casino all turn into doodly dogs. And so, you know, like there's, there's even a, a bit in the background where you can see a giant version of like the cow jumping over the moon, which is just some gag that, you know, one animator was like, he said, do anything. I don't know. Throw it in the background, you know? So like there's some things to look at and there's some charm, but the whole set piece again, just feels like a, a giant studio note to make a movie that nobody involved was making until yeah. all of a sudden they were, yeah. you know, and they were asked to shoot it and Brad Pitt isn't even in it. He just died. He's dead for this whole sequence. Yeah, he dies <laughs> and scientist. they show it kind of like off screen too. Like he falls off the, the, the skyscraper, the apartment building or whatever. And then they don't show the body for a while. And, and Hollywood then, murders him, yeah. which is like, I don't know. That feels like a, a, you know, again, they, they're very, vi they're very much villainizing Hollywood by the end. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> and then, and then the wrap up with Brad Pitt, where it's just like, we won't see his body for 15, 20 minutes. Don't see it make impact with the ground or anything. And then we'll just have <laughs> the convenient wrap up of, well, not only if you have sex with, uh, annoyed, you become a human, but if you get killed by a cartoon, you become a cartoon. So that works, I guess that's convenient. And um, and he is able to, you know, actually have sex with his cartoon yeah. girlfriend this whole. The, the rules whole are not as uh, established in as economical. And, and once again, as, they feel uh, like an afterthought. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, so, so. Like, that's a clean wrap. But we need Brad Pitt to come back because that would be he's he's our star, I guess, or whatever it was supposed I, to be. Yeah. I do think I was going to say earlier that scientist character drove me fucking insane he feels like he was created and existed only to facilitate network studio notes yeah they were to like get yeah. to Wait one place to the other yeah how did brad pitt get here okay we'll have a scientist say hmm yeah. this is interesting 
It's like, and okay, then the scientist this- put a spike in the casino and that's the thing that is like maintaining the 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 the, the two worlds, you know. Yeah, and he doesn't. Once again, it's the same thing with a couple other characters. He doesn't show up. He shows up at the beginning to facilitate the transfer, and then he shows up at the very end to once again continue the plot. Become the hero you were destined to be. Yeah, to give the exposition of what we were supposed <laughs> to care about this whole time. Apparently, yeah. So it, it was. Uh, He's bizarre. Yeah. He's just there's a lot of things in here that are studio notes and it's and it's very obvious. Some of the time you can like mask these things a little bit better, but this one just you almost see the producer like slapping it onto the screen in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and no one spoke up to any producer and was like, you, you do realize that by combining Bakshi's weirdo perverse shit and your generic studio notes that you are ending on the happy ending being that, <laughs> you know, interracial relationships are bad, bad and the world should stay <laughs> segregated. And, you know, and, and, and then what <laughs> a, a, a pencil dick line followed by a David Bowie credit song for some reason. Yeah. And yeah. the, like, the really- Relationship with the cartoonist and the and and Holly is really strange established at the end too because he's he's the superhero guy now and he's you know whatever saved the day or some shit and he's looking for like a house and he's really enthusiastic and Holly is not at all and so, so now she's just in this like forced relationship with this overly excited muscular superhero guy. I don't even get what you know what what's being said there, if anything's being said. It's just very strange. It's yeah. a, yeah. It also drove me nuts. <laughs> that superhero doesn't look like Gabriel Byrne. I know. I know. It doesn't feel like they're exaggerating his features in any sort of way. It's just like a new guy. So essentially, Gabriel Byrne's soul is dead, and this new <laughs> avatar is just taken over. Like that is kind of what it feels like. Yeah, like they've just completely destroyed whatever human soul he had, and now this is like it's taken over, like an alien or something. <laughs> Yeah, there's just no conversation. It's like he's a pervert. Turn him into like R. Crumb or something. You know, like turn him into like <laughs> yeah. have him turn yeah. into a pervy cartoon. There's certainly turn him into that French cat or there. that French uh, skunk that like was a total perv. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn him into that. <laughs> 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 that would have suited it perfectly. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yep, but uh, yeah, that that is Cool World. Pivoting towards uh, the reductive rating round here, this one uh, ended up in kind of like the the, the 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 maybe the like the solid two territory for me. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't hate it because I, I I will say there's enough in here from Bakshi's weird, horny, R-rated horror movie version about a comic book artist who wants to fuck his own cartoon <laughs> that. There is, you know, even in its messy form, it's like I'm kind of impressed that, you know, anyone spent money on anything related to that premise. (laughs) And, you know, that some that some people on set tried to make it happen, maybe even some famous people you recognize. And, you know, there's enough, you know, you know, actual Again, not the same amount of effort, but there is some charm to, you know, the, the crude Bakshi animation style. There's a couple things in, in here that if they had been developed, they would be cool ideas. I do like the idea of like a cartoonist who's haunted by visions. And, you know, if they wanted to make like the anti Toon World version of the movie, if they were trying to be like the evil Roger Rabbit, that might have actually been cool. Yeah. If they were if they would lean into actually making those points and not feeling like they accidentally got there 
by, you know, uh, just doing a bunch of really, you know, silly PG, you know, studio executive notes. And, you know, it's just there, there's elements in there where it's like Brad Pitt has PTSD. Brad Pitt is policing interracial relationships. It feels like details that Bakshi would playfully use if he had the freedom to do so. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, they just become like incomprehensible and lead to nothing. Um, and, uh, most of the actual filmmaking because Bakshi was being so compromised, you know, in the actual production process, it's not like the movie was taken from him in post or something like they were making him rewrite scenes and shoot scenes he didn't want to shoot. And as a result, I think you can feel that lifelessness to Bakshi's direction. It doesn't feel like he's directing actors. It doesn't feel like he cares about composing sets and environments to actually match things. He's going to eventually animate. It's just, it's all flat, very unenergetic. It actually doesn't even really really have that many jokes yeah. which was like the maybe the most surprising thing so i was like There's roger like rabbit is like joke joke per minute count is like ridiculous they'll f- and they they find sly ones in the corner of frames on top of the other ones that they're doing that are more overt and yeah this is just i don't know it, 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 it that makes it a little bit harder if this was even just a funnier movie it might be more enjoyable but yeah. it's it's weirdly kind of just annoying and kind of dull uh, which is just a very strange way to describe, in my opinion, uh, Bakshi, who I don't find, you know, actually maybe I find him a little annoying as a guy, but I don't find him that dull of a guy. I yeah, actually definitely do not find dull, that, usually. Yeah. Watching his other stuff, I am mesmerized by the sheer ambition um, and, uh, the, the, and, and the weirdness and the psychedelicness of, of what he was interested in, in depicting. And, you know, even if I don't like it, I, I respect on some level, you know, th- that he was like, I'm willing to just put my fetishes on screen for you to and I don't care what you think of them. And, you know, and it's just yeah. if you're going to if you're going to hire that guy, let him do the thing that he does. And they didn't yeah, do exactly. that. And they, they made a confusing mess that's half weirdo Bakshi and half, you know, just generic nothingness. And uh, yeah, so it, it ended up in, in, in the two territory for me. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, too. I think it's a, a two. I, I almost kind of liked it, but there's just so many things fall short. And knowing, seeing some other Bakshi movies, um, you can just tell that there's way too many cooks in the kitchen with this. It's it's They are not allowing Bakshi to do what he wants to do. Um, and I can Let kind of, under, yeah, exactly. And I can kind of understand like being a little bit, uh, cautious about Bakshi. I do understand that. But in that case, it'd be like, like you said, why the fuck would you hire him then? If you're, if you're, if you're not going to hire the man, why would and, you say yes? He came to you with this script and you said yes. Yeah, exactly. You know? Like that's so actually what happened. Yeah. Is he's like, I have an idea for my Roger Rabbit. Let's do it. Yeah. Money it's, signs it's, went up. It's ridiculous know? to hire an auteur and then be like, now just do like the generic th- shit that we tell you to do. It's just, it's yeah. bizarre. And I don't know why. Uh, studios do it. It's just always mind-boggling to me. But they you, love doing it, though. They, they still do. do it all the time. I know. It's, they it's still do to this it. day. They've never learned their lesson. <laughs> yeah, but you can still More see a little bit of that Bakshi charm, and like you know, his animation is in there. Those kind of ideas are there, and I do always love seeing that. It was kind of still fun to watch. You know, Brad Pitt try to do this kind of like noir detective thing. Um, it doesn't really work but it, it's interesting to watch like there is one line yeah, at the end and i'll say it rotoscoped holly 
kind of a uh, kind of a good character. Oh, I, yeah. I think it I, would work in another movie. I agree. I just don't know like where they went with her in the second half, but I agree that I think her setup is very interesting and cool. And I do no, like. It should her have design. been sex positive. Yes. She, she should have like blown up the world in an orgy, and it should have been the greatest, most psychedelic, amazing thing. And everyone was like, "Wow, we should leave the world this way." You know, yeah. that should have been the story. Exactly. It should, yeah, it should have ended. That's exactly. It should have ended with a giant orgy of cartoons and humans just going at it worldwide and uh yeah. that should have been the end but instead and it's the opposite. it would fix his ptsd because it would create world peace yes. like we're writing this Look as is this you know? is so much like, better like <laughs> holy hell come on now we well, need to the, remake you know, PTSD cool world. goes away if uh, if yep. you get it from a war and war is abolished you no longer have ptsd <laughs> yes, there you go exactly and all you a have to do is orgy. everyone fuck yep yeah. giant orgy that would help it i guarantee it which actually weirdly but. enough i think was the thesis of that movie sausage party which wasn't very good so maybe we're in a we're in a bind oh, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know what that's exactly it's, correct maybe it was but, yeah. <laughs> but maybe it was just the jokes maybe the overall premise is okay but we just need to yeah. uh, right. make it not as on the nose <laughs> but anyway um yeah th this just falls short in too many places i think that if bakshi was able to uh actually have his true vision and and more of a hands-on approach to this that it would have been if, just interesting because he's he's a really interesting filmmaker really interesting animator i just um producers they just need to shut the fuck up and let creators do their thing. And this is, you can just see it on screen constantly throughout the whole movie. Things just feel disconnected and, um, and like so many things feel like an afterthought. So yeah, it is, it's going to be a two, unfortunately, but I still would recommend people check out Bakshi. Uh, cause the, the first one that we did was on the, uh, the Patreon, um, bonus app and we did like we said fritz the cat and wizards and both of those are are pretty like really interesting and you know transgressive and can be annoying at times uh depending on um your outlook but but there's just there there's actual heart and authenticity and you can tell that bakshi had his full vision there whether you love it or not um so uh, yeah, it's recommend Bakshi, but just not necessarily recommend this. Maybe just for the spectacle of it and just that it's an odd novelty, but I don't think it's very good. Yeah, I, for you, Brandon. I gotta agree. I'd say if you like Bakshi at all, if you like, if you haven't seen any Bakshi, you watch this, and you liked it even a little bit, you're in luck. It all gets better. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's all it's uphill all uphill from, here. from yeah. Cool World. Uh. Yeah, it's. I, I'm totally. gonna give this. I'm so agnostic to star ratings, but I, I'm going to give it a two and a half because mm -hmm. uh, I, I'd say it's earned it for me, at least of like it makes me red in the face furious for all the, the executive meddling that happened for this. It's just like maybe it would have been great. Maybe it wouldn't have. I just would have loved to know. I, you know, yeah. I would love to have seen what it could have been. Um, it is it's a mess. It's muddy. Nobody is directed in a fair way, but Still, at a certain point, I've seen this. I think this was the ninth time I've seen this movie. Like, I, I can't lie. You know, it's like I, I am always drawn back to it. I do watch it a lot. I think it's a really interesting movie to look at. And it's got a, and it's like I like as frustrating as this movie is for me. It is a headspace. I sort of like like to visit pretty often. So I can't go lower than a two and a half. That's as low as I can go. And that's where I'm going. <laughs> Nice, nice. Oh, and uh, before we totally wrap it up, Josh, you were, uh, you mentioned earlier on if if um, if Bakshi ever did like any other live action or anything, and apparently he did mm -hmm. two years after a movie called Cool and, and the Crazy, and it's with Alicia Silverstone and Jared Leto, Wait, which is wild. 
Um, oh, it's a TV movie, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's 85 minutes long, I see. But regardless, that seems that's interesting enough for me. I probably will check that out eventually. It also yeah, he, did it, he did it for Showtime, apparently. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, And he, it aired on September 16th, 1994 uh, on TV only. So he did oh, a direct-to-video like kind of thing. I'm I'm curious. I wonder if any if anyone has that. Let it let us know. The 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 ratings on here aren't very good, but not many people have actually seen it. Yeah, so. I like to check it out. You know? I mean, it's interesting with the, having Jared Leto and Alicia Silverstone and John Hawks. Dude, be John Hawks by is Ralph in there Bakshi. too. What the fuck? Yeah, and he's his character name is called Crazy. So that's that's fun. Um, Damn. So yeah, so I'm gonna check that out. But anyway. Hell yeah. Well, yeah, I think that that will uh, wrap it up for this week's episode. That was Roger Rabbit from 1988 and Cool World from 1992. Thanks so much, Branson, for joining us and for bringing these films with you and lending us your 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 knowledge of, of animation. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my if God. If you've uh, got anything to... If you've got anything to uh, to plug while you're while you're here, this is usually where we have you do that. And I know that you are currently... Are, are you still open for commissions? Do you have any commissions open? I saw that you were doing that. Oh yeah, um, but I would say by the time this airs, I'm gonna have to have closed them. I got I, good oh, news. Oh, I bad forgot news. about that. We're recording these early. Yeah, <laughs> I got swamped, which is great and exciting, um, but it's also bad because now I've been swamped, and so I won't have I won't be able to take any more. Eventually, one day I might open them back up. Uh, if this is the the the, the segment, uh, uh, listen to Root Tales of Magic. It's my my podcast. I do. Uh, we play D and D very loosely, very comically. Uh, oh, these those stars of space. It's with the same cast, but it's like a Star Trek parody. Uh, buy my book. Hell was full. Watch Swan Boy on FX. Those are the big ones. Hell yeah, beautiful. Check out Swan Boy. He's a nice guy. I like that guy. <laughs> the little guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for our listeners, we are going to be back in one week's time uh, over on the Patreon feed where uh, we are going to be talking about some Sandy Purgatories. We are going to be uh, doing a uh, double feature of uh, Night Tide uh, starring uh, Dennis Hopper from 1961, directed by Curtis Harrington, about a woman falling in love. Or sorry, a woman, a man falling in love with a mermaid. Talk about horny guys again. Yeah. Um, uh, but <laughs> but that, that movie served as an inspiration for the Lighthouse. For anyone who liked that movie and liked that kind of the, the the weird mermaid imagery that kind of appeared in that. So we are going to be uh, talking about Night Tide and pairing it with uh, a film from 1962 called Carnival of souls uh which is uh kind of actually a a hard sort of like surrealist thing to describe because it's basically just kind of like a a woman who survives a car crash like walking through like essentially like a like a carnival yeah and there's a lot of organ music and uh it's one of the most like gorgeous and like haunting like uh kind of like 70 minute films that i've that i've seen and i'm excited to uh finally talk about it i find it like strangely kind of despairing of, mm-hmm. a, of a movie but it's a uh, very very gorgeous yeah i'm excited to retackle that because i've seen it a couple times and it's it's something that i've always just found myself thinking back on so yeah it's got it, it, it's got a strange vibe and i know that the director has like a weird history where like he mostly made like weird like 
industrial like PSAs or something like that. Mm -hmm. He did like a yep. Halloween safety video or something. And yep. yeah, then, then he, he was like, basically he's an industrial filmmaker who made like a low budget, like, you know, project. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. So that's what we're going to be talking about next week over on the Patreon feed. And then in two weeks time, uh, as sort of alluded to, we are recording this episode very early because uh, for anyone who's listening to this, I think Jamie is actually still on tour with his band going yeah. around singing, singing songs at various venues across the United States. Uh, so we are recording this in advance and I actually don't know what's happening in two weeks time and I will have a better idea by the time we actually post these episodes. Well, we will um, let you so, know, uh, we promise. I don't know what it is, but it will be in the description of next week's episode no matter what. Yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, look, uh, look, look forward to that. Uh, but that being said, that wraps it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, everybody. Keep it sleazy.